Hello, dear listeners. This is Rachel with a quick programming note. We have good news and bad news for those of you who listened to our episode zero. The good news is that in our episode zero, we had mentioned that we thought we were going to have to split this episode in half because we had so much to say. We didn't end up having to do that. We are going to have a bonus episode coming out concurrently with this one because we had about 20 more minutes of thoughts about how to run Tiger Lily and the natives without hating yourselves afterwards. But that would have been about 10% of the episode and that was its whole thing. So we kept the essentials of that. We split off everything else into its own little bonus episode. And this one came in at under two and a half hours, which we really were not expecting. The bad news is that in our episode zero, we also promised you that the audio quality was going to be improving every episode and that this episode would have sound quality on par with episode zero. That ended up not happening because it's a little known fact that we are recording from the middle of Richard Scarry's busy town. So as we were recording this, various planes, trains, and automobiles were coming by within about 500 feet of our house, and the noise reduction was doing everything from completely cutting out the audio to throwing us down to the bottom of a deep well in order to try to compensate. So I apologize. Audio was not good in this one. Hopefully next time we record, Officer Flossie will have caught Dingo Dog, and things will have settled down somewhat. So without further ado, enjoy Peter Pan. The Wonderful World of Dark Lords Report 3 Neverland Because Neverland is an island, I had chartered a ship to take me there. When the mists cleared before the prow, I couldn't hold back a gasp. The natural beauty of Encanto was breathtaking, but Neverland was an overtly magical place, even more so than Darkon. Mermaids and fae lived openly alongside humans, some of whom could fly, and I even thought I caught a glimpse of... well, it doesn't matter what I thought, a childhood fancy... The captain refused to go near the island itself, claiming that there were pirates in the waters, but allowed one of his men to row me ashore in a jolly boat. There, I was immediately beset by a band of children, armed to the teeth with swords that were clearly not for play. Mermaids and fairies notwithstanding, these violent delights are the childhood fancies that dominate Neverland, and even the mermaids and fairies have teeth. Welcome to Wonderful World of Dark Lords. I'm Tom. I'm Rachel. And we're discussing how to convert Disney movies to Ravenloft Domains of Dread, because when your kids watch the same movie twice a day for weeks, you've got to make your own fun. Along the way, we'll look at the Dark Lord, the domain itself, and some plot hooks and adaptation ideas to integrate this setting into your own campaign. Today's episode, Neverland. So, with Peter Pan, we've been wanting to do a Peter Pan episode pretty much from the get-go, because it's just great. (laughs) <laughs> I think that this and The Lion King were the two first ideas we thought of when we were just coming up with doing Disney movies as Ravenloft domains for fun. Yes. <laughs> before we decided to hobbitize it. Yes. And so there's so much here. And this is going to be a little different from our other episodes, I think, because we're not just going to be looking at the Disney movie. Because if you mm-hmm. just look at the Disney movie, you're really leaving a lot of good stuff on the table. Or off the table, as the case may be. Your gaming table. <laughs> A lot of taking Peter Pan, the Disney movie, and making it a more adult, psychologically potent horror setting is just going back to the source material. Because, my gosh, Tom and I rewrite the book 
in preparation for this episode, and yowzers. It's, we, we both had looked at some things that people had done for kind of doing horror versions of Peter Pan, and there was a lot of very, you know, there's lost boys drink human blood! And Sorry if Captain Hook's hook was made of souls. <laughs> and you don't have to do any of that. Like, yeah, if, you want, yeah. if you want to do that, God, have fun, God, God bless. Yeah, but you don't have to do any of that. It is all right there in the book. Obviously, with Lion King and Encanto, those were original movies, so we didn't have other source material we were going off of. But I think even when we're getting into some of the other fairy tales and things, we're not going to be digging as deeply into the non-Disney stuff as we are here, because there is so much amazing stuff in the original book. But we are going to be looking into the, the Disney movie, because that's, you know, our whole podcast. So probably more than any other of the stories of the movies of the Disney animated classics we're going to be looking at, mm-hmm. this is the one where I think we're going to try and do a very broad overview of different iterations of Peter Yes. Pan. So we're going to be talking about Hook, we're going to be talking about the bizarre 2015 prequel. We, this is how much we love you guys. We tried to watch this movie for you. It broke us. We didn't, we couldn't do it. We weren't strong enough, but we tried. We tried, guys. We got past the smells like teen spirit scene and we're like, well, it's, it's all going to be downhill from here. We are going to be looking at the bizarrely uncomfortable 2003 with Jason Isaacs as Captain Hook and what a made for TV movie budget. So as an adaptation, this one is similar to kind of what we're doing with Encanto, where it's not like The Lion King, where we are just taking the pre-existing part of the movie and putting it in Ravenloft Metaphysics. Mm -hmm. It's not like some of our other episodes we've got planned where it's a full-on alternate universe. Mm -hmm. This one is more like Encanto, where a lot of the surface stuff, a lot of the externalities that your PCs encounter are going to be basically identical to the movie or other Peter Pan source material, but we're doing a little bit of changing the backstory, a little bit of adapting it into the Ravenloft metaphysics, just very small changes that do let you then take that and make it into a Ravenloft domain. And speaking of adapting Neverland into a domain of dread, and speaking about adapting Peter Pan into a domain of dread, and speaking about domains of dread, let's start talking (laughs) about our Dark Lord. the Lord. On the surface, Neverland appears to have no single ruler. Instead, the domain has three distinct adversarial factions, each led by a powerful personality. While I was unable to gain an audience with Princess Tiger Lily, I was well acquainted with the other two by the end of my visit, and I believe that this apparent division of power is an illusion. The children, who call themselves the Lost Boys, are led by an unspeakably arrogant boy named Peter Pan. Pan insists that he ran away from home as a child in order to avoid growing up, and that Neverland gives him this eternal youth. I assumed it to be a childish game at first, but one of his lost boys made repeated references to Lady Camille, a ruler who has been dead for 40 years. Since my patron deems me incapable of judging the difference between rustic peasant rumors and truth, I present this information without analysis. Pan repeatedly demonstrated his powers of flight and ventriloquism to me during my visit, and boasted that he could send his shadow to other domains whenever he chose. When I asked whether he could leave bodily as well, his expression briefly changed to one of panic before he scoffed and asked why he would ever want to leave Neverland behind. It is a fair question. His lost boys follow him with a fanaticism that puts the most dedicated resident of Encanto to shame. The other leader in Neverland, James Hook, commands a vicious band of pirates and is bent on finding and killing Pan. 
Pan never tired of regaling me with the story of how he cut off Hook's hand and fed it to a crocodile, to the point where I believe I can now recite the entire tale from memory. While Hook is a bloodthirsty villain, Neverland itself seems to react to Pan's moods, making him seem, at best, an actor in Pan's story. This is different than the other episodes we've done, because this is one that doesn't have as much of an obvious Dark Lord. I know what you're thinking. (laughs) Put a a hook in it. (laughs) Because Lion King, no question. Encanto, no question. In fact, as we said in our first episode, one of the advantages of adapting Disney movies into Ravenloft domains is there is such a central villain figure that then you can take and make into a Dark Lord. There already is that incredibly central, prominent, colorful, larger-than-life villain. That's kind of part of the Disney formula. Mm-hmm. And this one does have that, and it's Captain Hook, and he's great. We love Captain Hook. We never want to take anything away from Captain Hook. And we will be talking about doing Captain Hook as a Dark Lord in our mm-hmm. AU section. Yes. But as you can gather from the fact that I'm saying we're doing <laughs> Captain Hook as the Dark Lord in our AU section, that's not our choice for our sort of default Neverland as a Ravenloft domain. Mm-hmm. And we are instead going to be doing Peter Pan. And we'll be getting into why we're doing Peter Pan as we're talking about the criteria for a good Dark Lord, what makes a good Dark Lord. One of the criteria in particular just jumps up and down and screams, this is Peter Pan. Peter Pan is the Dark Lord. Sorry, Captain Hook. You're a great villain, but not a Dark Lord. We were actually doing a little bit of back and forth of this as we were talking about the episode. And indeed, when we were talking about this podcast to our children and said we were doing a Peter Pan episode, our 11-year-old son piped up and like, oh, well, obviously Captain Hook's the Dark Lord for that. And his curse is he can never catch Peter Pan. And that's great. And we'll get to that. But just in case we have any new listeners, and which is probably already turned off, I keep referencing our older episodes. <laughs> and let's make sure we define our terms. And let's start with this one we keep throwing around, which is Dark Lord. So, Rachel... What is a Dark Lord? Well, a Dark Lord is an evil being who commits an act of ultimate darkness and draws the attention of the Dark Powers, and the Dark Powers then take them and trap them forever in a special little hell crafted just for them, which is their domain. So before we look at Peter Pan as a Dark Lord, we're going to take a look at the pinnacle of Dark Lordsdom, the true slimiest slime in the world, <laughs> Strahd von Zarvik. Because he is the mold in which the Dark Lord was formed. We have four criteria that we kind of look at for what makes a great Dark Lord. We're going to run through how Strahd fits each of them. And then we're going to go through, take a look at Peter Pan and explain our justification here. I know there are some of you who are nodding along and saying, yes, obviously Peter Pan is the Dark Lord. But for those of you who aren't, we're going to have to justify ourselves there. So for starting with Strahd, our first criteria for Dark Lord, as mentioned, is that act of ultimate darkness, that terrible, unforgivable thing that they do that makes the Dark Powers say, we are trapping you in a domain, you are beyond redemption, and we're going to make you a Dark Lord now. And in Strahd's case, it was killing his brother because he wanted his fiancée to Yana. Our second criteria in honor of Dr. Facilier, we've named you got what you wanted, you lost what you had. In Ravenloft canon, this is usually referred to as The Torment. Yes, but this is a Disney podcast. But ours is better. (laughs) 
the Dark Lord, uh, they seem like they have everything they want. They are ruling this domain. There even is kind of this misconception that Dark Lords are sort of the heroes of the setting and are laughing on top of their pile of skulls. But they have everything they think they wanted, but they don't get the thing that's most precious to them. So in Strahd's case, he gets his absolute unquestioned power and authority. He gets eternal youth. He no longer has his brother in the way, but he doesn't have Tajana and he never will. Our third criteria is an element of relatability and tragedy. We don't want to have a Dark Lord who's just evil for the sake of evil. We want to have a Dark Lord where there's some part of you that goes, oh man, I see why you went bad, no matter how much you might hate them. So Strahd is a terrible person, but it is really awful to be into somebody who's not into you. We can all kind of relate to that. And then our fourth and final element is that the domain reflects the Dark Lord. It's a, uh, as mentioned, it's a specially crafted hell just for that person. And it both kind of reflects the Dark Lord's torment and their sins, and is also a reflection of their personality. So Barovia, it's spooky vampire land. It's got haunted castles. It's got wolves. It's got an endless supply of peasants for Strahd to feed on. But it's an extension of his torment also because he's gone and killed the only person who is really his peer and his equal. And so now he's just all got all these peasants around and he's bored out of his daggone mind. And more than any other reason, the fact that going through those four criteria, looking at Captain Hook, looking at Peter Pan, looking at some of the candidates we talk about later on, Peter Pan matched them so well, particularly number four, mm-hmm. which we'll get to in a moment. But let's start with the act of ultimate darkness. This is where we're going off book. This is where we are just like with Encanto. This is where we are changing the backstory some. So put a hook in that one too. (laughs) We'll come back to it when we tell you our version of Peter Pan and our version of Neverland. The others are pretty much straightforward in the book, in the source material, in all the uh, iterations. So first up, or rather second up, we have the torment. And the torment of Peter Pan, he has this great gift that he never grows up but he also has this curse that he never grows up. He can never have real relationships. He can never have real love. The whole relationship of Peter and Wendy is this sort of adolescent psychodrama of Peter offers Wendy eternal childhood and eternal play, and Wendy wants that, but she also wants to be in a romantic relationship with Peter. And he can never give that to her Mm -hmm. because he can never have a person that he truly loves, a person that's more important than himself. And on some level, he knows this. Mm -hmm. On some level, this is something that haunts him. And this is like a hole in his heart that he is trying to fill. And yet by choosing to never grow up, by choosing to always be a completely self-centered child, he is choosing to never be able to really have a romantic relationship or even any kind of deep or profound friendship or any kind of meaningful relationship. We see a little bit of this in the Disney movie. You can see that he is feeling this loss of relationship of meaning in his life because he gets angry and he lashes out. And there's a little bit of this in the Disney movie when uh, when, when Wendy is singing Your Mother and Mine, we see him kind of getting grumpy and sulking and he's really mad that there's this true relationship with a real mother, not with Wendy, that he's never going to have and has chosen never to have. Yeah, it's a really interesting scene. The Lost Boys are listening and even the pirates are listening and they're all like in tears and Peter's sitting there with this furious look on his face and he's holding an arrow and he actually snaps the arrow. Mm. He's so mad. 
mm-hmm. that this evoking of a mother and having a mother and being a child with a mother and that kind of relationship just makes him angry and resentful. And we get the whole in the book and in some of the movie adaptations that when the Lost Boys leave, when the Lost Boys say that they're going to leave with Wendy, and he's so angry at them for abandoning him. And you get the sense that this has happened before and is going to happen again and again and again and again and again. And he's offered that chance. Wendy says, you can come with me. And he says, well, am I going to have to be a man? Am I going to have to get an office? You're never going to catch me and make me a man. And he has this chance for real love, for real fellowship. And he's always going to give up on it and just say, Neverland did not grow up. Right. Even in those scenes and a bunch of iterations, you get the whole, he says, well, fine, leave. I don't care. Mm-hmm. But it's always, that, yeah, he actually super does care. It's breaking his heart. But he has to pretend he doesn't care because otherwise he can't be a little boy and always have fun and always have adventures. Otherwise, he's kind of growing up. And that... That right there, fine, go on, leave, I don't care, secretly I do. The grapes were probably sour anyway. That's a torment. Yes. When I was rereading the book, there was a part that I had to write down because it was just the perfect Dark Lord torment quote, if I I may be self-indulgently English majory. So it's at... It's close to the end of the book, and it's when the Darling children and the Lost Boys have gone home, and Mr. and Mrs. Darling are so happy to see them, and they're laughing and hugging and embracing them. And then it says, There could not have been a lovelier sight, but there was none to see it except the little boy who was staring in at the window. He had had ecstasies innumerable that other children can never know, but he was looking through the window with the one joy from which he must be forever barred. And it's his choice. Mm-hmm. He chooses. He could fly in that window. He could be part of that family. Yep. But he chooses not to, to preserve his freedom, to preserve his self-centeredness, existence. Torment. 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 And to add to that core torment that we were so wonderfully summarized by Jan Barry via Rachel, <laughs> building on that a little bit. And once again, this is something in the book. This is yes. anything we're making up, but it's something we're, we're sort of just zooming in on a little bit. Because it's, it's a downplayed in the Disney movie, but like Hook especially really played with it a lot in this. It's cool. <laughs> and that's the idea that in Neverland you forget and that part of Peter's life as this kind of eternal child, just he lives in the present. Mm-hmm. He's just incredibly forgetful. Anything kind of not right in front of his face, there's a good chance he's going to forget about it. Mm-hmm. And that's the idea that this is like a small child and... He doesn't have much object permanence. <laughs> but you can also bring in a lot of tragedy and make that an element of the torment as well. Mm-hmm. There's a bit in the book, and they keep it in the 2003 movie, where he starts panicking because he can't remember whether or not he's really the Lost Boy's father. They're playing house. They're playing that Wendy is the mother and Peter is the father and the Lost Boys are all their children. And Peter suddenly gets this panicked look on his face and turns to Wendy and he says, this really is all pretend, isn't it? Is he's forgotten for a minute. And in the book also, that, and I, I believe that, that this is the main holdover of it that we see in the Disney movie, this, this part happens, John and Michael forget that Wendy isn't really their mother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when they're trying to remember their mother, they can vaguely remember Nana, but that's it. Yeah. So that, that kind of forgetfulness and that living in the present, we're going to get into that a lot more when we talk about the domain and about the effect that it has on the people in the domain. But it's hitting Peter hardest of all because he can never escape it. Eventually, everybody else is going to leave the domain and remember who they are. But Peter is just constantly in this cycle of finding people and forgetting them and then finding them and forgetting them and finding 
them and knowing that he's going to forget them when they inevitably abandon him because everyone abandons him to grow up because all children except one grow up. And this in the book, he comes back and this is you might be familiar with this from the movie Hook, if you haven't read the book, that he comes back the when Wendy, yeah, he comes back when Wendy's older. And it is this sort of cycle of eventually he takes her daughter to Neverland and her granddaughter to Neverland or marries her and has two children in the 90s. <laughs> but he comes back when Wendy's older and takes her back to Neverland for spring cleaning. I don't remember the exact dialogue, but it's one point Wendy mentions oh, Hook and Peter says, who? Or Wendy says something about is where's Tinkerbell? And Peter Pan's like, oh, was she that fairy? Fairies have short lifespans. Yeah. There, there are so many of them. I expect she's no more. And just that, yeah, that, we, we didn't have to make that up. That's, no. that's right there. It's right there. And that Tinkerbell is a, drank poison yeah. for him. <laughs> and he can't remember her. Right, and he even had the very real, like, the grief and the weeping and the begging her to be alive and the begging all the children in the audience to clap their hands so they believe in fairies. Like, all that's real. But he doesn't remember At her. the moment that it happens. At, yes. In, when it's right in front of his face, because as mentioned, he does not have object permanence. <laughs> and we don't need to make that up. That is such a fantastic torment. That, that's horrible. That's horrible, right? That's just awful. Especially when you combine it with the fact that, again, everyone's going to grow up and abandon him. He knows that. And no wonder he's clinging to everything so hard and has just such a horrible, controlling death grip on the Lost Boys. And once again, the <laughs> final just perfect little cherry on top of the ice cream sundae of, of angst here is he could leave mm-hmm. we're actually going off book we'll actually talk about this more in a little bit but dark lords are tr- prisoners of their domain but we're saying part of the beautiful torment of his cage is that the door's unlocked the, the dark powers have made an exception in this case they said you can leave whenever you want buddy and he never will because and- this is so fun for them mm-hmm. he never will the door is open and he could walk out anytime. He could have flown in through that window and been a member of the Darling family and grown up and been Wendy's husband and been a father and then spent too much time at work on his cell phone <laughs> and missed his son's baseball game. But he doesn't because he's too afraid to grow up because he's, he cannot give up that being a little boy and having fun and having adventures and living that totally self-centered life. And mwah, delicious. Dark Lord Jeskis. And that, that just that wonderful, delicious, sweet, chocolate-coated torment <laughs> is also related to the element of tragedy and relatability because all of us understand the impulse, I don't want to grow up. I mean, so many adaptations are really very much making Peter Pan the hero and making this very much an ideal. We weren't supposed to completely be on Peter Pan's side. I love Hook, but Hook is so gooey and maudlin about the not growing up thing. There's lots to unpack with Hook. But we all get that, especially looking at not growing up not only as like a physical thing, but this whole, I want to live an entirely Mm self-centered life. I want to just have fun. Mm -hmm. I don't want to have any deep engagement with other people, like concerns for their problems. I don't want to have any responsibility. I don't want to go to school. I don't want to work in an office. I don't want to have bills. I don't want to have responsibility for anyone else around me. I just want to have fun and live my life with everything revolved around me like a child, a very selfish, spoiled child. Mm -hmm. 
all of us have that part of ourselves that wants that, mm-hmm. that, that fundamental base desire to just be a selfish, spoiled child. Yes. And the process of growing up is the process of seeing that and moving away from it. Mm-hmm. But it's always going to be there. Yes. And the final fourth element of a good Dark Lord is the ultimate reason we chose Peter Pan over Captain Hook. And that is the domain is supposed to be an externalization of the Dark Lord's internal reality. That mm-hmm. is a custom-made reality bubble for that particular Dark Lord. And that is so much the case with Neverland and yes. Peter Pan. In the book, it even goes into this whole thing about when he comes back to Neverland, Neverland awakens. Mm-hmm. And they said beforehand, when he's gone... It's more like winter and the animals are hibernating and the people are kind of living more peaceful lives and the pirates are just sort of repairing the ship and patching the rigging and everyone's just kind of waiting. And if the pirates and the Lost Boys, even if they pass by each other in the jungle or whatever, they'll just glare at each other and go on their way. They don't fight. But when Peter returns, Neverland awakens and the bees stop hibernating and the ice thaws and everyone's blood suddenly gets up and they're ready for fighting. And that is so Dark Lord. That's that, so Dark Lord. And even without that particular element of the book, you, dear listener, I think you get that idea that Neverland is Peter Pan's world. Yes. It's not Captain Hook's world. It's Peter Pan's world. It's his private reality. Bubble. It's the world of childhood. I mean, there it's we, we don't think of Neverland as the world of pirates. We think mm-hmm. of it as the world of eternal childhood and eternal youth because it's Peter Pan's land. It has pirates because pirates are cool. Yes. And it's fun to have sword fights with pirates. Mm-hmm. And it has Captain Hook because for Peter Pan to be a great dashing hero, he needs a great villain. Yes. A hero is only as good as their arch enemy, and he's got a great one. Mm-hmm. So those are our elements two through four. We mentioned you know, putting a hook in the act of ultimate darkness and coming back to it. We had to do a little bit of work for the Act of Ultimate Darkness, but not a whole lot. Because it, in every adaptation except the Disney movie, I believe, and that's part of why we've been going off book from the Disney movie and bringing in the book and so many other adaptations. Not just because we're hashtag 90s kids. Not just because we're hashtag 90s kids, and not just because I'm an English major, so I have to bring in the source material. We get Peter Pan's backstory. And it's that he was a baby and he was in his pram. And he heard his mother talking about what was going to happen when he grew up. And he didn't want to grow up. He didn't want to become a man. He didn't want to have an office. He didn't didn't want all of that boring stuff. He wanted to be a little boy forever and have fun. And so he ran away. He made his, his pram go spinning off, fell out into Kensington Gardens, and lived with the fairies there for a while. So in the actual book, he went to Neverland after Kensington Gardens and then came back a little bit later. But we're, we're going off that, which we'll discuss. But he came back. He decided that he maybe he did want to grow up. Maybe he did miss his mother. So he came back to look in, but the window was closed and barred. And his parents were in there with a new baby. All he saw was them cooing over this new baby. He didn't see however many years of torment they'd had waiting for him to come back. All he saw was that, darn it, his parents dare to be happy now. And so he went back to Neverland. And that's why that's why he's got such issues with mothers. There actually was a storyboarded scene for Disney's Peter Pan where he does tell the backstory. 
They're actually both him snapping the arrow during your mother and mine, building up to him storming in and saying that Wendy was wrong about mothers and then doing the backstory. Yeah. So in our version, this seemed like a, a pretty good place to put the act of Ultimate Darkness in because we want it to happen before he goes to Neverland, right? Since Neverland is his domain. In our version, there was no Neverland until he committed his act of ultimate darkness. In our version, he's with the fairies in Kensington Garden or the more dentish equivalent of Kensington Garden. And they're raising him. And he goes back and sees his parents there with the baby and decides that he is going to save his baby brother from this false idea that the parents love him. He is going to take his baby brother and rescue him and take him to a place where he can never grow up either. And, oh, by the way, that'll also hurt his parents, who he's really mad at right now. His motives are completely selfless, and he's only thinking about his brother and absolutely not thinking about making his mom cry. So he wastes the gone. He goes in. He takes the baby brother away. That suddenly Neverland exists. Second start of the right straight until morning. That's the first lost boy mm-hmm. is his brother. And that even then is what happens with the Lost Boys is he has this whole idea in his head of saving children Mm -hmm. from the falseness, from the hypocrisy of their parents. This ties into taking the darlings. Mm -hmm. The idea that he looks for children that are a moment where they're being neglected, a moment where they're susceptible to coming with him. And he takes them away. And he knows on some level this is going to destroy their parents. This Mm -hmm. is going to give them this lifetime of grief and suffering. And he kind of wants that. Yeah. He's kind of lashing out and punishing mothers and punishing parents. But also, connecting to the torment, he does want that love. He kind of wants a mother. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. There's there's a horrible part in the book where the darlings are coming back. And, of course, Mrs. Darling has left the window open for them every night. But Peter sneaks ahead of them. And he closes and bars the window so that they'll come back and they'll think that she locked him out and they'll cry and go home to him. And then they will stay with him forever because they've realized that he was right about mothers all along. And Mrs. Darling won't have her children. See what I mean? Yeah. We, we just don't, we don't need to do a lot here. Mm-hmm, we just mm-hmm. need to dig back in the source material and hold up some of the less Disney-ified iterations of the character. Peter Pan is the sassafras and worse. He is really All bad. Hook is going to do is gut you with his hook. He's not going to make you think that your parents abandoned you while making the parents think that the children abandoned them. Like some kind of psychotic precursor to lots of hug and bear. So those are our four qualities that we would say make someone a good Dark Lord. And hopefully we've demonstrated pretty clearly why Peter Pan has all those four qualities and why he is logically a good, tragic, wonderful Dark Lord. <laughs> so we're going to be doing a new thing in our Dark Lord section this episode that we hope to be doing every episode from here on out. Because in our write-up of the domain, we include the ideal trait, bond, and flaw. And those are really fun. It's really fun to find the quotes from the character and, and come up with those. And frustrating. Um, <laughs> because I want the write-ups to be in that format of Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft, and part of the format is the ideal trade bond and flaw of all the Dark Lords. And so I want to do that. And in Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft, they are quotes to express those things. Like, from the Dark Lord giving you a quote describing their beliefs about these things. Mm-hmm. So, of course, ours need to be quotes as well. But it has to be quotes that they say. Right, exactly. people say about yeah. them. I, I, unlike the people doing Jacqueline Rainier, I can't just write my own dialogue for Scar. I have to come up with dialogue that Scar said in the movie to then express his ideal, his bond, his flaw, 
etc. Thankfully, that scumbag actually did say, I'm the king, I can do whatever I want. So, thanks for that, Scar. Once again, the scenario where the Disney, since Disney movies are for kids, they will usually have unsubtle quotes. (laughs) They'll say the quiet part loudly. They'll say the quiet part loudly, so that makes my job a little bit easier. But with Peter Pan, we had more trouble with that than usual, because Peter Pan is not as... He's not a very internal character. Yes. And and that's kind of the point of Peter Pan, Mm -hmm. is he is... Not internal, that he doesn't think about his emotions or his goals very mm-hmm. or his desires very much. Or when he does, he turns away from it as fast as possible because that's a tentative step toward maturity. <laughs> and there are a couple of his lines that do make sense as one of those things in context of all the dialogue around them. But again, we're not going to have whole snippets of dialogue. Right. Or if we explained... Well, we chose this line because it expresses this part of his personality, which is what we're trying to say with this. But once again, I'm just giving you a quote. I'm not putting (laughs) in an explanatory thing. Yeah. So we decided we were going to use quotes from the book because Peter Pan does have some very revealing quotes in the book. And I read the book after Tom did. So I was able to, to write down some of these quotes since I knew that we were going to be doing that. And this is this is kind of live. Like, mm-hmm. I, I haven't yeah. been, I've read the book, but we haven't gone over the quotes. I don't know what the quotes are going to be. So you're going to get a little peek into our thought process uh, that got us that section in the write-up for Lion King or Foreign Conflict. So I just have the quotes here. I don't have them sorted out into, like, ideal trait, bond, and flaw because some of them would work for multiple of them. So we have, how clever I am, oh, the cleverness of me. Classic. I don't want ever to be a man. I want always to be a little boy and to have fun. I say, Wendy, always, if you see me forgetting you, just keep on saying I'm Wendy, and then I'll remember. You don't think that I would kill him while he was sleeping. I would wake him first, and then kill him. That's the way I always do. There's one thing that every boy who serves under me has to promise, and so must you. It is this. If we meet Hook in open fight, you must leave him to me. To die will be an awfully big adventure. Another classic. You are so queer, and Tiger Lily is just the same. There's something she wants me to be, but she says it is not my mother. Wendy, you're wrong about mothers. Keep back, lady. No one's going to catch me and make me a man. I forget them after I kill them. And who is Tinkerbell? There are such a lot of them. I expect she is no more. Ooh, that's a good one. I know, right? That's a real good one. So let's start. We're doing the ideal... The bond, the flaw, and then I believe there's like role playing traits or role playing. Uh, yeah, there's there's a there's personality. A trait. Yeah, the general yeah. personality. So general personality, I I, I have to go just because it's so iconic with the oh the cleverness. Oh of me. yeah. Oh, oh yeah. the cleverness of me. Oh yeah. I was that's, thinking that's of using that as a name for one of his dark lord powers, uh-huh. but it's so perfect. So that's kind of our personality trait. So then we have ideal bond and flaw. Ideal, I don't want ever to be a man. I want always to be a little boy and have fun. It's it's obvious, but it's also... And also, it's the imperative. Yeah. That is an in, that's one of the few things that are internal. Mm-hmm. And even this idea that that is the principle by which he lives his life and that guides all his actions and decision-making. Honestly, I wish all of our Dark Lord characters <laughs> had such a definitive statement of their guiding principle. Mm-hmm. So I think that's perfect for idea. Yeah. And we have bond and flaw. Bond, I kind of like uh, the, if, if we meet Hook in open fight, you must leave him to me. So that, mm-hmm. that's kind of, but that's, that's establishing his strongest bond as being with Hook. I like so. the Wendy remind me. Because mm. I think what we're going for with the bond this is. The idea that he doesn't have bonds. And that he kind of wants them, that he does have yeah. this part of him. The reason he keeps taking children mm-hmm. is because he is lonely. And he does, as part of his torment, he wants companionship and he wants a bond. 
but that kind of curse, I think both of those are expressed, and that is sort of that horrifying Peter Pan that we're presenting, is that if I forget you are Wendy, just remind me that you are Wendy. Mm-hmm. And that he wants relationships, but his torment will stop him from having relationships, and he knows it. Mm-hmm. So that would be my vote for the bond. Yeah, yeah, I think that works well. Also, he's the one that's very explicitly relational. Mm-hmm. It's kind of about his relationship with Wendy. Mm-hmm. And then for Flaw, I really like, I forget them after I kill them. That's a good one, yeah. And who's Tinkerbell, there are such a lot of them, I expect she is no more. But I'm not sure how much sense they make out of context. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, There is the you're so queer and Tiger Lily's just the same. There's something she wants to be to me, but she says it's not my mother. I, I could also see if we're doing the core Flaw being that he refuses to not be self-centered. He refuses to grow up and even in an emotional way. Mm-hmm. I kind of am leaning with you'll never catch me and make me a man. Mm. And once again, that's such a good quote for summing up who Peter Pan is. Yeah. And the idea that like, it's, it's he a choice. He yeah. refuses to let anyone make this emotional connection to him. He, he says that to Mrs. Darling. Wendy and John and Michael and all the lost boys have gone to the Darling house. And we had that quote that I had mentioned before where, you know, Mrs. Darling is hugging all of them and embracing them. It's the most beautiful sight ever. But the only one who sees it is Peter. And that's the only pleasure he'll always be denied. And Mrs. Darling opens her arms to him to take him in. And he says, you'll never catch me and make me a man. Because that's all he sees from her offering love is a threat. And even I like that it's the catch me Mm -hmm. and the whole that he sees love and real connection mm. and real family as as a restriction of his freedom. As a trap. As a trap and as something that would take away his freedom. Mm-hmm. And that is kind of what we're going for with the, the flaw. And as I said, I do really like that it is that very intentionality. You know, he is choosing to not be a man. Yeah. And that he's choosing to not enter any kind of relationship with anyone. Mm-hmm. And even if, like, I assumed it wasn't directed to Wendy... Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, dear listener, you now you know not, but... <laughs> In the if, 2003 movie, it was. Yeah, yeah. and it probably was. And, yeah. But if you ran into this quote, you probably, like me, would assume it was directed to Wendy, but you, it's the same idea. Yeah. That, no, he's refusing to have this relationship with Wendy in a meaningful way because that would that would be growing up and that would be trapping him and taking away his freedom. Mm-hmm. So that is my thought. I think that's, there's a lot of good ones there. Yeah. There are a lot of good choices, but I, I think that one is good. But another part of the Dark Lord, it's not just a backstory thing. It is also as this kind of unique centerpiece of your domain, as this kind of keystone figure the whole domain is built around, you have certain powers and abilities. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there's the sort of natural powers and abilities of the thing you are. So like Strahd's got vampire powers, mm-hmm. but he's also got all these special powers with his unique connection to Barovia. And with some of the Dark Lords we've adapted, we've done Scar and we've done Abuela from Encanto, and we had to take what they do and come up with kind of D&Dified, magic spellified versions of some of those things, like giving Scar magical charisma abilities. Mm-hmm. The great thing about Peter Pan is he does have actual powers powers. Yes. With Scar, you know, we Scar couldn't do any actual magical stuff. Peter Pan can fly. He can fly, he can fly, he can fly. And he can let other people fly if they think happy thoughts. So that's that's an obvious power for Peter Pan. 
he doesn't really seem to need pixie dust because it's at the point where he forgets that other people even need it. He just mm-hmm. has his pixie dust he shares with other people. You can have it be that the pixie dust actually has the power, or you can have it be that it's just sort of an extension of Pan's will. It might just kind of be like the way that his flight power is manifesting. Another power that we see him use is when he's mimicking Hook's voice. And he is doing this absolutely perfect impression of Hook, you know, saying that he's a codfish and whatnot. So another obvious thing there will be that he has ghost sound. I really wanted to do that he has the spell ventriloquism from 3.5, but then I looked at ventriloquism no longer exists in 5e. But you can kind of adapt it to be ghost sound specifically in terms of like throwing his voice and making his voice sound like other things. Quick correction from future Rachel. It turns out that Ghost Sound also no longer exists in 5e. It and Minor Image have been put together into Minor Illusion. So when I say that Peter Pan can cast Ghost Sound, what I mean is that he can do Minor Illusion, but only for auditory illusions. And since we're kind of lumping it in with ventriloquism, specifically auditory illusions that he would be making with his own voice. Also, he can use Ghost Sound to crow and sound exactly like a rooster. Absolutely, he can. <laughs> er, 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 er. He can fly. He can fly. <laughs> he is the pan. Another power that we're giving him that we're kind of going off book for is a thing that we were sort of struggling with was that he does go to the nursery to collect the darling children. We're saying that he's going to all these other nurseries and collecting these other children, but he's a dark lord. We did say he's a dark lord who can leave his domain at any time, but if he is leaving his domain all the time, I think that our powers would put the kibosh on that. That, that diminishes it a little it bit. Does. If the door is open, as the whole concept of it, the door is open and he could walk out. And that doesn't have the same power if it's the door is open and he could walk out and sometimes he does. Yeah, I think actually it might be neat if at one point he did go out to collect someone. But the minute he left, he could actually feel time pressing it on him. He could feel the effect of aging, even though it was only like five minutes that he was out. And he has never wanted to go out and do that again. But we do see his shadow detaching from him. And it does have a mind and a will of its own. It is an intelligent being. So what we came up with was that he can actually willingly detach his shadow and send it out into the world to go exploring for him. And maybe even sometimes it's going to do things he doesn't like, because otherwise, again, it's not much of a curse if he can basically just go out by proxy. You could do some interesting things if you wanted to sort of pit Pan and his shadow against each other. But that's the way that he can go out into the world and be gathering up children. Right, And that's not unprecedented in Ravenloft and Lord, of my understanding, mm-hmm. that with both Strahd and with Azalan, there's this idea that they can send agents out they can use spells to sort of possess mm-hmm. or mind control oh, or yeah. see through their eyes or things like that and i strahd the war with aslan strahd is doing this all the time like watching Const- tv for him yes he's just constantly possessing people and sending them out of Barovia. <laughs> well you could imagine if, if a dark lord had like a familiar mm-hmm. they could send the familiar and in fact, that's probably one of the most interesting things to think about. This is the shadow, kind of like a familiar Ooh, relationship. Yeah. yeah, I like that. That it is an independent being. It has psychic connection. It does kind of serve his will. Maybe has its own agenda as well. Mm-hmm. And either way, that lets him go and find the children that are being neglected by their parents, the little boys whose parents are away for a minute, and grab them and take them to Neverland. And he's also going to be sending Tink out, but talk about having your own agenda. That that barely even counts. Maybe that's why there's only lost boys. <laughs> yeah. So those are the things that we actually see as being powers he has in the movie. That 
translate well into D&D terms, but there were a couple of other things. Yeah, that's like if you took Peter Pan and wrote up his character sheet, those are the powers. Those are the spells, the spell-like abilities he would have. Mm -hmm. But as a Dark Lord, and especially as a Dark Lord of this very meta Mm -hmm. story-based domain, one of the really interesting things about looking at Neverland as a domain is how Neverland isn't just, it's a land that has pirates and tigers and adventure but that it's sort of the world of childhood adventure stories. Mm -hmm. And looking at that as a domain, looking at Peter's relationship with it, we came up with a couple of things where kind of his greatest and most dangerous powers Mm -hmm. are his role as the hero, the main character, the centerpiece of Neverland. And so one of those things is the way that everyone becomes obsessed with Peter Pan, that everyone in Neverland, Hook, the Pirates, Tiger Lily... The Lost Boys, Wendy, all of them, Peter Pan immediately becomes the most important person in their life. Your obsession with either destroying him or gaining his approval. There's just a constant, every female in Neverland is fighting over Mm -hmm. Peter's attention. Every male in Neverland either hates him or adores him and follows him and obeys him. So this would be kind of a version of the friendship spell where it's not always positive. So with like the pirates and Hook, the power takes the form of this negative hatred. But the point is that this person, Peter Pan, becomes kind of the most important person in your life. Mm -hmm. And the number one priority you have is either making Peter Pan like you and approve of you or destroying Peter Pan. And basing this power on the friendship spell, there is a wisdom save and we can look at Wendy choosing to leave and then even the other lost boys choosing to leave is kind of everybody Mm -hmm. making that wisdom save. Wendy making the wisdom save and then using her connection with the lost boys, even her side of the mother, <laughs> well, I mean, to let them roll with advantage. She's clearly a bard because she there has all go. of her she's storytelling right, exactly. So she sings Your Mother, Your mother Mine, yeah. and that is her, her performance that gives um, them their bardic inspiration. Gives them bardic inspiration, and they roll... And the GM's like, I'm not going to roll four wisdom saves for these, like, <laughs> animal skin-wearing NPCs. And they all decide to leave. So you do have that chance to not have Peter Pan be the most important person in your life. But it's hard, and the longer you're in Neverland, the harder it is. And once again, kind of, Wendy has the lowest DC. For, like, toodles or nibs, would have been nigh impossible mm-hmm. with a regular roll to turn around and say, you know what, I want to go. I don't care that Peter disapproves of it. I want to leave. And then kind of going off of that, and this is sort of the most insidious power and the most mm-hmm. dangerous power, is that in Neverland, connect with that whole forgetting thing, in Neverland, you start to become a character in Peter's story. You start to become defined by your relationship with him. You start to forget you had any other life or any other identity outside of the sort of life or identity comes up for you. So that in the Disney animated movie, you have this, I love this bit, the pirates complaining that they want to leave. They want to go out to sea. They want to plunder. They want to be pirates again. You get that he had this whole life being a pirate before he came to Neverland. But he is Peter's enemy now. He is his nemesis and he cannot be anything else. And he is in this futile quest to destroy Peter Pan because he's a dark lord. He can't kill him. He always comes back. He can't defeat him. But because now this mind-altering effect that I think could be similar to the Max Suggestion spell, 
is on hook, he will never strike, sail, and leave because now that's what he is. He's Peter Pan's nemesis. Mm -hmm. Or with Wendy, you have this whole thing of Wendy's the mother and Peter's the father and Michael and John actually forget that Peter isn't their father and that Wendy isn't their mother and that Wendy starts forgetting her parents and sort of falling into that actually kind of thinking of herself as their mother and kind of thinking of her being in this kind of marriage with Peter. That's the trigger that gets her out of it is her seeking this deeper romantic relationship. But for your PCs, going into Neverland is going to be this very interesting kind of psychodrama mm-hmm. because it's not so much that the ultimate danger is not so much the Crocs or the Pirates or anything. It's being stuck as supporting characters in Peter Pan's adventure story. So one interesting thing to do with it with your PCs is kind of thinking about what is Peter Pan going to see them as and then maybe having them make these wisdom saves to avoid becoming this person that Peter thinks they are. It's one of the, the domains that only gets like a paragraph or two right up in Venerable's Guide to Ravenloft. One of the older domains was Sienna, the theater domain. And the mm. idea that the Dark Lord was this playwright And he was this total solipsist, and he was convinced that everyone was just a character in his place. So he would be writing, and he would write you in. You know, you you go in, and, you know, your character is Bob the Fighter. As you go into his domain, he says, oh, perfect, I'm writing this play about Bob the Fighter. And you have all of these traits that you've got for Bob the Fighter. You know, you've got his his trait and his bond and his ideal and his flaw. The Dark Lord, when you have a, oh, what's your trait? Your your trait is that you're brave? All right, you're brave. And that slowly starts to become your only trait that every other edge and nuance and shadow that you have, those little things in your character that run counter to their main trait, maybe if they're in tension with that, those all start getting sanded away and they just become this one-dimensional cardboard cutout version of themselves. And that could be a really terrifying thing to do with Neverland. And this also can be used to their advantage. Mm -hmm. Because kind of the neat thing here is that Peter isn't the playwright. He Mm -hmm. sort of is. He's the kid making up the game and the story. But he also totally, wholeheartedly buys into it himself. Mm -hmm. Like he throws himself into character. He throws himself into the story. And he will abide by the rules of the story. He will abide by kind of the role that he is taking in the game, as well as the roles he's forcing everyone else into. Mm -hmm. So when he is being the Lost Boy's father, he is the Lost Boy's father. When he is being Chief Flying Eagle, Kevin help us, he is being Chief Flying Eagle. Yeah, we'll get in there. Put a hook in that one, too. (laughs) When he takes Captain Hook's coat and his hat, and he's going yarring around being a pirate, he is being Captain Hook. Just he he wholeheartedly buys into all this stuff. So especially your genre-savvy PCs, could kind of actually take this power and flip it around Mm -hmm. where you can get Peter to do stuff and you can kind of manipulate him or at least convince him of things by playing into the story, by playing into the game, by saying, okay, you're being the pirate captain now. The thing we want you to do is the thing the pirate captain would do Mm -hmm. and then Peter will do that. So this is a thing where it can be very powerful, very dangerous on your PCs, very horrifying on your PCs. But once again, especially if you've got some genre-savvy players, this can also be a tool that they can use to kind of flip it around and accomplish their goals in a very, like, narratively interesting and very creative way. Mm -hmm. Like, you can't fight Peter Pan, because he's Peter Pan. But you could, by playing into 
that narrative that he's playing with, get him to do what you want. And now that I'm thinking about it, that's actually even how Hook almost gets him, was, mm. is that, you know, well, he has to take his medicine. That yeah. is the, 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 the role of the father. He has to take his medicine at night, and Hook puts poison in the medicine. And it doesn't matter that Tink is telling him the medicine is poisoned. He has to take the medicine. With the Disney movie, it's the goodbye present, and it doesn't work quite as well. But I mm-hmm. think every other adaptation is the medicine. And then finally, the power that all Dark Lords share in common, the power to close the borders. This is in Curse of Strahd slash Barovia, the ability to just have the borders have this deadly poison mist that blocks anyone from leaving. It's the kind of convenient narrative, why don't the PCs just leave Spooky Vampire, (laughs) evil Disneyland, Mm -hmm. and go to another place? And the answer is, well, because you can't because the Dark Lord locked them shut. They're in this reality bubble until a plot event lets them leave. Maybe a boss fight lets them leave. And for Neverland, there are a couple possibilities here. One is when Peter is taking them to Neverland in the book, they realize they're looking at the stars and they realize we have no idea which one is the second to the right. We're completely lost. If Peter weren't here, we'd just be doomed. So it could just be you can't navigate out. You're wandering around hopelessly lost and eventually you end up back in Neverland again. Another possibility is it's an island there's a sea. It could be that there are storms. It could be that you're trying to fly away and the thunderstorms are, you know, for just beating you down and forcing you to land. They're trying to sail away and the thunderstorms are forcing you to drop anchor again. And this is tying into the whole thing we talked about and we're going to talk about some more in a minute. The meta-ness of more than any other Disney movie, Neverland is consciously a reality bubble. Mm-hmm. Like it already is kind of a demi-plane. Yes. So... You need to do very, very little to have the rules of a demiplane apply to Neverland. Mm -hmm. Like, they basically can't leave without Peter's permission anyway. Yeah. Again, they don't. The Darlings and the Lost Boys, Peter very grudgingly gives his permission. It's a, well, fine, be that way, but he does give his permission for them to go. And speaking of Neverland being a reality bubble, that's a perfect segue to talking about Neverland as a domain in the land. The Land I discovered a curious and insidious trap within Neverland. Its denizens, without fail, seem to have forgotten that they ever lived anywhere else. This effect seems even more extreme than that which befalls the people of Darkon, as they also lose interest in anything outside of Neverland, and often outside of Pan. What's more, their perceptions seem to fall in line with Pan's beliefs and expectations. After I'd spent a few hours with the Lost Boys, Pan accepted me as one of them, and they immediately treated me as though I were a child myself, something I have experienced far too often of late, and spoke as though I had been part of their band for years. During a brief sortie with the pirates, those scoundrels also referred to me as a little girl. Beyond the Lost Boys, natives, and pirates, Neverland is filled with constant adventure of a particularly violent and harrowing sort. There are mermaids, caverns, crumbling castles, and a hundred other tempting delights, but none are safe, and while Pan sometimes enjoys playing the chivalrous rescuer when one of his number is in danger, he ultimately cares little about their fate. One of the Lost Boys, Bird, drowned when a mermaid held him under too long during water tag. Pan laughed heartily at the joke she had played on him, and moments later, all the Lost Boys had forgotten that Bird ever existed. So as we mentioned, Neverland is interesting because in Peter Pan, very deliberately, there's a meta level. Mm -hmm. That Neverland is 
the world of childhood imagination of childhood adventure and even specifically like going back to the book it is the childhood adventure setting of the darlings so in the book they fly to neverland and they recognize it because Mm -hmm. they've imagined it they've drawn it there even is some talk about how like it matches the you know the crayon pictures they would do or they say, oh, look, Wendy, it's your wolf cub. Or, yeah, she oh, had an imaginary your... friend that was a wolf cub, and it's there. And even the characters, Hook isn't just a bad guy pirate they meet in Neverland. He is the villain of Wendy's stories. Mm-hmm. He's the bad guy in their childhood adventure stories. So Neverland is, on the one hand, perfect. But there is not a better domain imaginable for a D&D game because it is very much deliberately a childhood adventure theme park Mm -hmm. it is just action it is fun it is sword fights and treasures and daring do and mysteries and escapes and everything you would want in an adventure story like an average DD game it is a world specifically calibrated to be an infinite generator of those things Mm -hmm. but there is this kind of darkness under the surface centering around peter and centering around the fact that neverland takes people in and forces them into those roles. Yeah, that it's it's not just this wonderful, joyous celebration of childhood. It's specifically a celebration of Peter Pan and his ego and his desire for nonstop stimulation and entertainment. That, yes, the darlings go there and they see their imaginary friends and they see these things that they've been dreaming of this whole time, but it's all in service of Peter Pan's giant ego trip. And they're going to be pressed in service of that giant ego trip. It's all part of this narrative in which he's the main character and they and all their hopes and all their dreams are just set dressing. Like... In Neverland, at the end of the day, there's one PC, Mm -hmm. and it's Peter Pan. Yeah. And everyone else end up as NPCs. Mm -hmm. You are supporting characters in this dude's (laughs) solo RPG. (laughs) Yeah, right. And another thing is there's that meta level of your PCs, since this is one of, like, the most famous narratives of the 20th century. (laughs) And this is the great thing. Your PCs can have that same experience of the Darling Children, of oh my gosh, look, it's the Jolly Roger. It's Captain Hook. It's Tiger Lily. It's the Lost Boys, like, tree house home. It's Toodles. Mm -hmm. That they get the joy and the fun of crossing swords with Captain Hook, of seeing Smee run around and be silly, (laughs) just like the darling children in the story are having that pleasure of living in the world of their adventure, the world of their fantasies, that wonderful meta familiarity the darling children have unlike original audience of the play original audience of the book your pcs are kind of in that role of the darling children Mm -hmm. of this is this world of fantasy they know intimately and they get to have fun with it yes and also since it is a kind of this boys adventure playground that all of these things that he's imagining and bringing in these other children and the things that they're imagining and having them kind of throw it into the pot. You can, if you want to bring in other D&D elements, then you could. You could have it be that, you know, okay, well, if Peter Pan is originally from Barovia, part of his fantasy might involve fighting vampires. Or werewolves. Or werewolves, or... yeah. I think if you brought in too much of that, it would stop feeling like Neverland. Right. But you could have kind of the one zone of the island, just like there's 
the Jolly Roger, there's Mermaid's Lagoon, there's the where the natives are living. The, in the book, there's the jungle full of wild beasts. There could be another section of the island that's just whatever kind of D&D madness you want to bring in. Right. Like, if someone told you that in the original book of Peter Pan, presumably you haven't read it as recently as we have. <laughs> Maybe you haven't. Yeah, right. Maybe you're reading it right I'm now. Not, I'm not the boss. <laughs> There's, like, mountains, and the mountains have, like, spooky, gothic, crumbling, vampire-haunted castles. You'd be like, yeah, that checks out. Like, <laughs> like that totally, that there'd be this one region on the map that is gothic horror adventure. Mm-hmm. And I think the big trick there would be to make sure that it's a very pulpy right, child it's very version. Goofy, yeah, yeah. yeah, The vampire isn't going to be Strahd. He's going to be Dracula from Van Helsing. Yeah. Or for D&D, it completely 100% fits Neverland. There'd be this region that's like tunnels... Mm-hmm. filled with traps and monsters and treasure. Yes. Peter and Pan then, can go dungeon diving. Right, absolutely. Just all the live long day, he takes the Lost Boys, they gear up, and they see how far they can get into the dungeon. Mm-hmm. Like, that absolutely fits Neverland, and the only reason that there isn't tunnels full of monsters and treasure and traps in Neverland is that hadn't been invented yet. When Jan <laughs> wrote. Like, it's, it's the adventure fiction of a Victorian boy and anything that's kind of a boy's adventure fiction that has that kind of fantasy, you know, no tech element. Now, it's not going to be superheroes. <laughs> but, yeah, there absolutely could be dungeon diving. Yeah. And going back to the Darling children and their imaginary friends showing up, it could be neat to talk about with your PCs what happened to the PCs' childhoods. Bringing in stuff from their past and having that show up in Neverland could be really eerie. Right. You you get a lot of, with PC questionnaires, PC world building, you hear about like events of their past, important relationships. But this is a really interesting role-playing question of what games did your mm-hmm. character play? What was their favorite game? What was their favorite story? Mm-hmm. When they like went into the woods and played sword fighting with sticks, mm-hmm. what were they playing? What were they imagining they were fighting? Were they imagining they were fighting orcs? Were they fighting pirates? Were they fighting vampires? Like, what were they fighting when they swung a stick around and went, choo, 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 choo. <laughs> And taking that and bringing it in could be a really simultaneously unsettling and very powerful experience for your table. I want to do that now. <laughs> yeah, right. So speaking of Neverland and the mountains full of vampires and the dungeons, <laughs> caves full of monsters and traps and treasure... Let's run through some of the iconic places from the story that your players would be expecting to go to Neverland. And then we have some of those we've added. It's one of those, like, it's a perfect adventure setting. Yeah. You just got, like, this map. Like, you know, you watch the scene in the animated Peter Pan. And you go through the parts of Neverland. And they each have, like, a faction and, like, a type of adventure you have. Mm-hmm. So you've got the Lost Boys hideout. It's the sort of tree, under tree home. You have obviously got the Jolly Roger. You could do something really interesting if you go off of what they did in the movie Hook, where there's not just a Jolly Roger. There's the whole, like, town mm-hmm. that's been built up. That could be really useful if you want some of your classic d like, you need a blacksmith. Mm-hmm. You want to buy some caltrips or some supplies, and then you want an inn mm-hmm. to ask for rumors. That could be, like, pirate town around the cove or the Jolly Roger. Yeah. Since Tom mentioned Hook and bringing Hook in as an inspiration for the setting... That actually does tie into what we were saying with bringing in 
elements from other worlds and other times as part of this whole stew of childhood fantasy and adventure. I know there are some people who find the skateboarding and the basketball in Hook with the Lost Boys extremely silly. And I agree with them, but I think it's silly in the best possible way. Because, you know, watching that as a kid in the 90s, I was saying, yes, this is what Neverland yes, would be. Yes, this is paradise. Clearly. And now as an adult, I roll my eyes, but it's a very affectionate eye roll. And as a kid, there was no eye rolling at all. It was just, mm, yes, these Lost Boys are so cool. Rufio has a triple hawk and is the like best. Half a shirt. Ripped jeans. Yeah, right. the best so. thing ever. So, again, do, doing something like that more subtly than a hook because your target audience is presumably adults, although... And we, not nine-year-olds in 1996. But we do talk about jamming for kids, so if you are jamming for kids, then you might really lean hard into being hook-like. But hook is kind of an example of taking this child's fantasy and adapting it to another time or another place. Right, that for the kids watching Hook in the movie theater, and we can speak with first person mm-hmm, accuracy, mm-hmm. that was the world of childhood adventure. Yes. Involved sick ollies on your skateboard. Slam <laughs> dunks. So ridiculous. The 90s. So great. Quite a time. <laughs> so you've also got Mermaid Lagoon. We don't see this very much in Hook. I, I really like the Disney movie adaptation. Yes. It's one of the best bits where they get the mermaids as very beautiful and very into Peter. And also they really demonstrate Peter's sociopathy, mm-hmm. but also the mermaid sociopathy. Yes. That could be interesting for your PCs that you have this group of people that like aren't necessarily going to attack them and like might be useful and might be some of the people they could communicate with, but that will like drown them for kicks. Yes. And for other non-humans, we have Tink, There's mention of other fairies. We don't see any other fairies in Neverland. But if you wanted to have there be a community of fairies there, you absolutely could. And taking a bit from the Jason Isaacs live action Peter Pan, there's the Black Castle. There are this ruined castle with these all these tunnels in it. Mm -hmm. And that's our dungeon crawl zone. Adding in a dungeon crawl zone full of monsters and traps and treasure Mm -hmm. to our version of Neverland. And, of course, if you're doing kind of a custom Neverland for your PCs, adding in zones that are for their kind of childhood adventure fantasy Mm -hmm. that they would have had. And then, finally, we have what we're going to charitably, (laughs) to Sir Sir J.M., call the Native Encampment. And this is a good place to segue to one of the first things we started talking about when we're talking about adapting Mm -hmm. Peter Pan for the year of our Lord 2022. So how do we deal with the natives? And there's a lot of possibilities and you find what's best for you. You find what's best for your table and your Mm -hmm. group. But we want to at least offer some possibilities. Yes. One is to do what they do in Hook, which is basically they're not present. Mm -hmm. They are mentioned a couple times. They talk about fighting them, blasting them with Long Tom, Tiger Lily, but we never see them. And you know what? That is absolutely a valid just saying, I do not want to deal with this. Mm -hmm. In my gaming table, let's just not have Princess Tiger Lily. Yeah, I think if I were to go this route, I would go even farther than Hook and not even mention them because they're just going to be the elephant in the room. Another possibility is to try to have them be Native Americans, but running them respectfully. But there is also kind of the issue with the natives, too, as we've already talked about, that, like, 
Peter Pan is the protagonist of Netherland. He's the PC. He's kind of filing everybody into his image of what they should be. And taking that idea with doing a non-stereotypical view of a real-world culture, they don't really go together. Yeah, as part of what we're talking about, the experience of Neverland as a domain, and honestly, this is true of Neverland just in the book and in a lot of the setting, Mm -hmm. and in a lot of the interpretations is that everything does just kind of get flattened down Mm -hmm. and made into these boys' adventure fiction supporting cast. Mm -hmm. And the whole idea of good representation is like, it's like the opposite of that. (laughs) So there would be this weird tonal clash Mm -hmm. very easily. And maybe once again, you could even play into that and sort of the horror of real world people and cultural groups being flattened down into being Buffalo Bill, Wild West show, background guys. But your table, your players, you do you. So one more possibility, and this is something that comes from the unique narrative opportunities of specifically Dungeons and Dragons, Ising, mm-hmm. Neverland, and Peter Pan, is that natives isn't just limited to like human groups, human cultures, either made up or real, but it could also be non-human groups, especially with Neverland. You have the Pixies, you have Tinkerbell, mm-hmm. you have this sense of it being this kind of magical land of story. It's very easy to see uh, Neverland as a kind of manifestation of the Feywild. This is probably what I would do if I were running mm-hmm. it, is have it be elves. That idea of sort of the more Hobbit-esque, the wood elves, mm-hmm. that they are the elves that are like, they're still elves, they have all the characteristic as elves, but that is one of your classic elf archetypes of, you know, they're forest ninjas, Mm -hmm. they're very honorable, Mm -hmm. they're very fierce, they have this, like, deep connection with nature. So, like, a lot of the stuff about how, like, the natives are these amazing hunters and trackers that is very problematic in the original book, just put the word elf in, Mm -hmm. and it gets a lot less problematic. It's like, oh, yes, of course, the elves knew the pirates were there as soon as one of them stepped on a twig. (laughs) What do your elf eyes see? And the nice thing is we're not just like picking a D&D race that doesn't have as much baggage, but it even is a classic archetype that people do have with elves. So it still would fit that though this is the land of adventure fiction feeling. And then if you wanted to play into that idea of kind of the horror of being put into this stereotypical box, there's a lot less sting with it being a wood elf than with it being an actual real world culture that is put into stereotypical boxes. And once again, you're going to need to go over it with your table. Some tables do not like the idea of racism, even in a fantasy context. And that's fine. That's, you know, you do you, you do your table, whatever works for you. If you want to skip past that entirely, you can. If that's a thing that your table wants to play up, you can. It's your game. Right. The first option we mentioned was the hook option of just not having it. Yeah. Or, you know, again, just have the have the wood elves and not be touching on the fantasy racism. Right. Caricaturing is also, again, the, the option that we went with in the write-up. Another possibility, one that I'll admit I know is also very fraught in its own way, but I'm just madly in love with the image of it, is if we're going with this idea of the natives aren't evil, right? They're this third faction, but they're not evil they're, you know, because they, they never have been. They're just kind of in opposition to the Lost Boys. If we're talking about doing like a deconstruction of this kind of like image of the natives, 
one thing to do with that might be actually be doing something with orcs because a big issue with orcs and the way orcs are portrayed is having them always be evil and you with with the natives they're not this is a way to play into an idea of orcs being very in tune with nature of them being very wise very canny some of the things that you don't normally get to see with orcs because there's all this uh, warrior tribe stuff you can still have kind of the the warrior nature of orcs but be bringing in all of this much more flattering, much more interesting stuff that we don't normally associate with them. And I will readily admit 99% of why I love this idea is because I love the idea of Tiger Lily being an orc princess, because everyone thinks that Tiger Lily is just the hottest thing on two legs, and playing that completely straight with an orc princess, that just, I love that so much. Also, this isn't a time or a place to be digging into mm-hmm. all the stuff with orcs and orcs in D&D mm-hmm. and what does it mean and what's the baggage. Do some Googling, I guess. Yeah. But if you heard the using the natives to actually do some kind of deconstruction of the use of cultural groups in adventure fiction and we're like, that sounds fun, but also like juggling chainsaws. <laughs> like you can hit some of those same themes mm-hmm. and you can have to do some of that same deconstruction, but like with a bit of a remove. Yeah. So that might be a better option for some people, a bit less fraught. Yeah, it's it's going to be more fraught than using wood elves because there is a lot of baggage with orcs. But it's also some of the stuff about deconstructing the idea of colonialism into the idea of putting people in boxes is also going to hit harder. So once again, hitting harder, it packs a punch, but it hurts. So just yeah. make, make sure that you're not hurting your table. Make sure that you're picking the thing that's going to be the most fun for everyone. We're just... Giving you your options. Chipotle! <laughs> Make your, your own burrito. If that salsa is too spicy, yeah, then right. walk right There's by. a whole <laughs> rack of salsas. And you can find the ones just right for your burrito. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Another thing you could do with orcs is connected with how you do the pirates as your faction. We'll get into that specifically with orcs in a minute, other than orc pirates, which is awesome. <laughs> if you're doing a D&D version, no reason Captain Hook's crew has to be all human. Before we get into the specifics of orcs and pirates... Let's take a step back and talk about how we use the pirates. And the the pirates are integral to the setting. There's never been a version of Peter Pan that hasn't had the pirates Mm -hmm. or that has minimized the pirates. Mm -hmm. They are the villain faction. They are the bad guys. Captain Hook is the opposite to Peter Pan. A hero is only as good as his villain. It's the amazing villainy of Captain Hook that helps define the self-proclaimed heroism of Peter (laughs) Pan. The pirates are in many ways parallels to the Lost Boys, which we'll get into in a minute. But they are the adults. The Lost Boys are boys, and the pirates are adults. And the pirates are the people, they play the kind of the same role as, like, the Stormtroopers in Star Wars, or as the Nazis in Indiana Jones. They are the people that, like, it's totally cool for the heroes to kill, Mm -hmm. and you can tell by looking at them, it's okay to kill them, Mm -hmm. and you don't need to, like, second-guess it. And in the book, they do kill them. And Hook Rufio has a line about we kill pirates, but we never actually see anybody kill a pirate in, I think, any movie adaptation. But in the book, they're like, oh, yes, this is a sword that Michael, the toddler, uses to kill a pirate with. And you can probably already see we're circling if there's some interesting, once again, meta. I hope you like meta because it's a very meta episode, but that's kind of the (laughs) point of Neverland. Tom loves meta. I don't know what you're talking about. It's his favorite. I don't like the never-ending story at all. But that's even the whole point of Neverland, is it's a story about stories, and Mm -hmm. Neverland is the world of the darling children's childhood adventure, and they're not encountering Captain Hook for the first time. He is the bad guy of their stories. Mm -hmm. And similarly, your players are going to go in expecting to cross over to Captain Hook. They're going to expect to see Smee, and they're going to have a 
blast doing it. Yes. They're going to have that same experience of the darling children of getting to play out those childhood stories. But we talked about the idea of Neverland, especially this version, flattening you and making part of the story. So you could get something interesting with the pirates being reduced to these cartoon villains. Like maybe they were people. Maybe they had reasons for taking up piracy. Maybe they were impressed or they were captives. Or maybe there's a line about how when the Lost Boys get too old, Peter calls them. And let's not dig into that too much right now. Um, But maybe it's that he makes them go be pirates. Mm -hmm. So you were one of the good guys, but then you got you know, Exiled. this tall, you you got past a little cartoon squirrel's finger, and now you're a bad guy. And now the people that used to be like your team are merrily trying to murder you. And that's that idea of these are the people it's okay to kill is also a thing in Dungeons and Dragons. And in a lot of like, once again, fantasy adventure stories, because it's the fun and the fantasy adventure of violence and the fun and the fantasy adventure of justified violence. So you could also very easily do a version of Neverland where, once again, you're bringing in some of that same baggage from general D&D-verse where you have the pirates, but maybe you also have a a community of, like, orcs or goblins that are also being presented as these bad guys it's okay to kill. Mm -hmm. So, in other words, like, the Lost Boys are playing in your average game of Dungeons & Dragons. (laughs) But you can be kind of holding that up and examining that a little bit more critically in the context of this kind of spooky, bad Neverland that we're building up. Especially, you know, again, if it's a non-human, if you see one that's kind of in the process of transforming from a lost boy to an orc or a goblin, because, again, they got too old and Peter Pan kicked them out, and so now they're changing into a different role in the story, that could be creepy as heck. Yeah. Because suddenly it's okay to kill them. Talking about the characters getting thinned out and the meta level and everything, it actually made me think one thing that we're circling around here for possible inspiration that could be really good would be uh, Cabin in the Woods. Ooh. This is a family-friendly podcast. Children, you are not watching Cabin in the Woods. Please do not. <laughs> do not. <laughs> it is R-rated. It is R-rated for a reason. I know it's really popular to dunk on Cabin in the Woods right now because it's funny and there's a lot of dunking on it. It's not being scary. Mm-hmm. And... When I rewatched Cabin in the Woods, it was terrifying. Like, the first time I watched it, I didn't find it scary. And the second time I watched it, it scared the pants off me. Because it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how genre savvy you are. You are going to get flattened into this horror movie type and make every mistake that you can possibly make. And that's scary. Kind of taking Cabin in the Woods as an example of how to show this deterioration of their personalities could be a a cool source of inspiration for the adults in the audience. Yeah, Yeah, this is where we've been talking about the sinister overtones of Neverland as a domain of as a horror setting. This is kind of the core horror Mm -hmm. of Neverland as we are presenting it. The Mm -hmm. horror of, congratulations, you are a supporting character in Peter Pan's story, and he is both not only the star but also the writer and the director. <laughs> and if he decides today you're a bad guy, then you get your big hoop earring and your skull and crossbones hat and your cutlass, and he shoves you out of the tree and they're about to start killing you. Mm-hmm. Once again, like a child dividing up the other children into a good guy and a bad guy team. Mm-hmm. Except they're actually going to kill you. They're actually going to kill you. Speaking of the Lost Boys, it's interesting when you go back and look at the Lost Boys it's, there's the temptation to play it as being pure chaos, but 
every adaptation of Peter Pan has done a really good job of threading that needle of showing that children, they, they do want absolute freedom, but they also really yearn for rules and structure. So yeah, these Lost Boys, absolutely, they have total freedom and anarchy under Peter Pan's control. Yeah, uh, with him in control. <laughs> anarchy with him in control. Tom substituted for kindergarten one day. And he went in and he did circle time in the wrong order. Yeah. And oh my gosh. It was traumatic. <laughs> Children cried. <laughs> and that's the way that kids are. They want this total freedom. They want to be children and not be told what to do, but they want to be told what to do. It really is like Peter Pan's relation to the Lost Boys really is an, an excellent insight into like a spoiled child mm-hmm. or kind of what every child wants deep down, mm-hmm. which is you kind of want this group of friends and you have absolute freedom, like no bedtimes, no rules, eat candy all day, no school, no chores, just like go have fun, have adventures, fight pirates, and you are in absolute control. Mm-hmm. You are the boss, and you will make these rules, and you will make a schedule, and everyone will follow the rules, and everyone will follow the schedule, and everything will be like a Swiss watch mm-hmm. of fun and childhood adventure. <laughs> And we'll talk about, you know, when we get to aging up and aging down, we'll talk about how you can kind of turn the dial on the wildness of the Lost Boys and probably imagine how that would go. But one other obvious challenge with the Lost Boys is that if we're looking at this as kind of being our protagonist faction, then how are we going to be bringing the PCs in since your PCs are presumably adults? And I think actually Hook is a really good thing to look at for this because as soon as Peter starts acting, like Peter Pan again, as soon as he's acting like a child, everyone accepts him as a child. And I think that you could do something similar with that if the PCs are joining up with the Lost Boys, and especially if they kind of start acting like children, then the Lost Boys are treating them like children, the pirates talk to them as though they're children. And this is going to be a really fun social challenge. You're getting kind of Mm. a story arc here with the Lost Boys, where you go, you encounter them, they're very distrustful, and then you're kind of watching them and it's figuring out to play with them. So mm. like maybe making the wisdom insight, maybe just your players are genre savvy enough or have seen Hook and they like see the Lost Boys playing a game and they go and start playing the game with them. And then the whole, oh, and now they're accepted. They're immediately now treated as Lost Boys. They're treated mm. as children. Everyone acts as though they are children and then maybe eventually they even start to turn into children. Like when they leave Neverland, they turn back into adults again. But maybe you could do something like the the Star Trek The Next Generation episode where they turn into kids. <laughs> right, it was extremely silly and everyone loves it for yes. that reason. <laughs> it's so silly, it's so dumb, it's fantastic. I and like, <laughs> I promise, you're, many people listening, your players will get a huge kick out of your PC, but now your PC's nine. Yes. And they're still the same them, same power, same ability, same everything, but like they're nine. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be very silly. And maybe add a little bit of levity to this, this kind of dark setting we're pulling up. And in some ways, that kind of takes away from the tragedy of the idea of all children except one grow up because that they can just come back to Neverland and Peter can have them as friends again as children. Then that kind of takes a sting out of that, except Neverland makes you forget so he doesn't remember that he can do that. Anytime he could bring Wendy back and Wendy would be a child and play with him, but he doesn't remember that he can. This is more like going into some of the Peter Pan versus the end of Labyrinth. Where a big part of Labyrinth, and I'm not going to say too get into much detail because I'm going to assume you watch Labyrinth because you're listening to our <laughs> podcast. But a big part of it is Sarah kind of growing up and divesting childhood. Mm-hmm. So even the big, you know, very shocking for a child scene with the trash lady, 
where she kind of looks at all these toys and says, it's all junk and just kind of throws it aside. But then at the end, you do have the should you need us Mm -hmm. and the whole like, okay, yes, you've grown up. Your world of childhood fantasy is still there and still is valid as part of your life. Mm -hmm. You know, Jim Henson is not going to make a movie where the lesson is grow up, kids, get a job. (laughs) Stop with this fantasy nonsense. That kind of is the lesson of Peter Pan. They grow up completely and leave it all behind. So this could be a good way to, once again, the, the message to your players is not, let's stop playing D&D and start doing our taxes. <laughs> we should be doing uh, gig economy jobs to make money for our families during this three hours a week. So that's great. But then what have we got here with this setting where your PCs don't seem to be the actual protagonists? Rachel, what do you do with it? Dread possibilities. I had the sense that Pan would have happily kept me in Neverland for the rest of my days, and that, were it not for the ring my patron bestowed on me, I would have been delighted to accommodate him. However, when it became clear that I had gotten all the information I could from Pan, and he had nothing more to offer than further boasting and bullying, I decided it was time to make my exit, and slipped away as they were planning a raid on Tiger Lily's camp. When I returned to my jolly boat, however, I found that the pirates had beaten me there, and that the sailor who had escorted me to shore was dangling from the hook of a dark, fierce man who could only be their captain. He wiped his hook clean, greeted me cordially, and asked that I tell him the location of the Lost Boy's encampment as his men circled around me. I confess that all might have been lost had Pan not repeated his stories to me so many times, and if I did not have a few scraps of arcane knowledge of my own without my patron's long-awaited tutelage. Minor illusion is a parlor trick at best, but it can summon the sound of a ticking clock. Hook panicked and fled, his men at his heels, and I was able to return to my ship. I want adventure in the great wide somewhere. I want it more than I can tell. So in every version, there's one way you get to Neverland, except for the prequel where you get kidnapped by clown pirates (laughs) from your orphanage in the Blitz. I'm not making it up. Go- Google no, it. No, no. Oh, that movie was something. And it's that Peter Pan comes to your window and takes you to Neverland. Mm-hmm. Or in the case of Hook, Tinkerbell comes to your window and takes you to Neverland. That's possible. Like, sort of the, the version of that we could have with Ravenloft, which is the wonderful thing, is you just come out of the mists. Mm-hmm. It's actually much easier to get to Neverland if you are already in Ravenloft than mm-hmm. in any other version of the fiction. But let's say you're not just... I have a really cool idea to do Neverland, so that's where you're going today. Congratulations, everyone. (laughs) Which is always a valid way to send your PCs anywhere. We do not want to diss this. One of Ravenloft's, I think, best (laughs) design features. The ease of GM transportation. Mm -hmm. But let's say your players set out to go to Neverland or arrive in Neverland in uh, a bit of a more organic way. So what are some possibilities there? Well, one possibility is that you're not the one who had Pan's shadow or Tinkerbell come to your window and take you away. That some child did, because he's not going to come for adults. Unless you're Robin Williams, then they're not going to take adults into Neverland. So maybe there's some child that either you're hired to look for them, or there's a an NPC that you're close to whose child is missing. And thinking about it like that, I mean, how cool would this be? Mm-hmm. You go to a place, you bring your players to a setting, they start doing their normal PC thing, you know, drinking and looking for trouble, and it comes out that there's been a series of child disappearances. Mm-hmm. And they're like, ooh, that's a plot hook. We're going to fight some kind of, like, baby monster. So they investigate around, and they're investigating, like, the nursery where the children disappeared from on the second floor, and they find, like, 
pixie dust and like little pixie footprints. And then like they find some drawings the children did of a little boy in green, like oh float. And they're like, oh wow, it's Peter Pan. Peter Pan took these children. That is the baby eating monster we are in pursuit of. And the great thing is your PCs and the NPCs they interact with in Ravenloft have access to a lot of tools and a lot of resources that the Darling family or any, mm-hmm. you know, middle-class Victorian kidnapping <laughs> victims do not have. They have magic. They have magical items. They know that magic's real. The idea of there's a flying boy who takes children to a magical <laughs> land of adventure is like, oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, that checks out. Mm-hmm. That's the world we live in. <laughs> so they could find a way to Neverland. They could get a mist talisman. They could get a tracking spell. They could get something, and that could bring them to Neverland. And that would be super fun. Yeah. Also, it just occurred to me actually talking about uh, the only adult that we see going is Peter Banning and Hook. If your PCs are okay with having a little bit of like mystery in their backstory, you could have it be that Peter's shadow or Tink shows up for them because they had been to Neverland as children. Oh, that's sweet. That's delicious. And of course, now they're adults and they've forgotten all about it. But but that one of the PCs was Wendy, not Wendy herself, but like played the Wendy role. And now Peter wants her back because he doesn't realize that she's 25 now. Oh, man. Once again, the, the plot twist of you talk with your players and I feel like you've got at least one player that's cool with the idea of there's this big hole in their childhood. Mm-hmm. That, like, they disappeared from their childhood home. Mm-hmm. A couple years went by. It just appeared they're back with no memory. And they're like, oh, I wonder what mysterious, dark, Ravenloft spooky wizard vampire things happen. And then the bam, you drop the reveal that no, you were in Neverland. Mm -hmm. You were a lost boy. Mm -hmm. That's what happened to you those years. Peter Pan took you and brought you back because he was bored with you. Yeah. I don't know in 5e if there's like, like fate touched or anything like that for feats. I believe so, but I don't remember. I'll Google it later. Yeah. So if if, if there's, I'm sure there are feats and backgrounds and things that could go with this beautifully. So the core, I think the most common story, the most useful story is you are after a lost child. You Mm -hmm. are trying to get a lost boy or girl and bring them back home. And the one other thing I can think of that's like a little bit more direct is going through Hook. And it could be you seek Hook out in terms of like you're after some artifact that was pirated and then you, like, get the reports of the survivors, and it was the Jolly Roger with Captain Hook. <laughs> and you realize you have to, like, go track them to Neverland and, like, either steal it back or get Hook to give it to you by helping them with something. Or, once again, if you want to do the drop the surprise on your players, <laughs> they're in Ravenloft, they're in the ocean, they're on a boat, some pirates come. They're like, oh, okay, we're doing a pirate. Well, maybe they're ghost pirates. Yeah, they- shadowy ship coming from the mist. The big skull and crossbones flag. And then they're doing the pirate fights. Like, well, I guess they're not ghost pirates. They're just <laughs> regular pirates. And then the captain strides on board, gutting people with his hook and calling out from Mr. Smee for his <laughs> pistols. And they're like, oh, wow, this is Captain Hook. We are fighting Captain Hook. <laughs> and he impresses them. And this mm-hmm. could be somewhere to kind of dig into. Impresses like a press yeah, gang. Like, yeah, like so the War cool of 1812. I mean, both. Like, <laughs> well, yeah. Both, yeah. <laughs> Have you seen the man? <laughs> He looks like Charles II. So this is, especially if you really wanted to get the sort of Peter as the enemy, Peter as the monster, the horror of kind of being forced into this cartoon character villain mm-hmm. role. And, you know, you're Stormtrooper number six. Here's your blaster. The heroes are about to come through the door. Best of luck to you. <laughs> Hope you make it to scene two. Mm-hmm. That would be a way to do that. And also, how fun would it be to 
to drop that your players are being raided and abducted by Captain Hook. Because it makes sense, you know, Peter is killing pirates left and right. So if, if you're not going to do that, the Lost Boys grow up and become pirates, or maybe even if you are, because the Lost Boys are also getting killed left and right, then Hook is going to have to leave on occasion to press gang people to get new pirates. So it makes sense that this would be a thing. And it's also a way that you can have a very um, diverse group of pirates on the ship. You know, kind of, kind of what we're going with with Encanto, that they've, they've all kind of been pressed into this specific pirate role, but every now and then you can see little bits and pieces of where they came from on them. We're going to talk about that a little bit more when we get into parting thoughts when we talk about bringing in other domains. Fundamentally, either way, if you're seeking out Neverland, and we'll dig into this a little more later, but the core adventure is going to be going into Neverland, experiencing fun, wacky adventures, like experience having fun, and then kind of getting out. Mm-hmm. And either getting someone else to wake up and realize they need to leave and they need to grow up, or your players kind of shaking off the spell of this world of childhood adventure and saying, no, we want to leave, we want to have our own lives, we want to have complicated, messy, annoying adult lives, rather than just be running around playing cowboys and Indians. So I'm going to spring this on you because we don't have it in our notes, but how would you do that with waking your PCs up in a more dramatic way than just saying, make a will safe? Or a wisdom safe. I'm sorry, my 3.5 is showing. Uh-huh. It would have to be narrative. And mm-hmm. either of these stories, you are being Wendy. Mm-hmm. You are either being Wendy or you're trying to have someone else be a Wendy. You're getting in, you're having fun, but then you realize the limitations of Neverland. You realize you're in a little playground and that you can never have a happy and fulfilling life in that little playground. So you need to leave the playground, even though the real world is a lot more annoying. And so I would come up with some kind of narrative events mm-hmm. that are the trigger. Mm-hmm. And it's tricky because, you know, in theory, this should be a wisdom save. Mm-hmm. That's how a lot of this magic works in D&D. But you don't want to make make a wisdom save yeah. to have your character be a character and not just be <laughs> like, I guess now we're doing a campaign where we fight pirates in Neverland. Uh-huh. So you don't want that to be a wisdom save. It's like with the classic, like, if you're playing Lord of the Rings, you don't want to have it be like they're on Mount Doom and they're, like, at the edge and you're like, all right, Frodo, make a will save. Right. Okay, I guess Middle Earth is doomed. <laughs> you, but you'd roll higher. If you rolled two more, you would have would have been okay. So in this case, it would be structuring, like, having some fun adventures, having a session or two or three, depending on how the players are enjoying it, of fun adventures in Neverland. The more sessions you do, the less you should emphasize the the losing their agency, the becoming right, yeah, yeah, characters. Yeah. Uh, because that is not going to be... No, yeah, it's not going to be fun. No, it would just be like, let's if I do a Neverland session, and if they're often fun, I'll do a couple more like Neverland sessions. And then when I'm feeling like we're ready to be done, everybody's, you know, finished with the playground, having a, like... The scene where Wendy's asking Michael and John if they remember their mother and father. And then being the, she's sort of like starting to wake up, like maybe trying to do a story where they're like, wow, Peter is actually terrible. And then have kind of a scene where they're like, wait a minute, we're forgetting things. Mm-hmm. And they're forgetting things. And then maybe doing the like, ah, and you try and remember your own father. And you can occasionally see a face, but you keep thinking of Peter. And then we'll go, okay, we're, we're leaving. Yeah. We're leaving. And, like, maybe having the wisdom save be for the thing, like, the specific, can you remember your father? Mm. And if you fail, it's like, ooh, a mustachioed dwarven face floats in front of you for a moment, but then it just keeps being Peter sitting in his his rocking chair. So it's not, like, hugely consequential, and when they leave, it'll be fine. Mm -hmm. And kind of really letting it be a narrative decision for them to leave, and, like, not having a role for it. 
or else if you want some kind of consequence, having it be like, oh, you can spend inspiration, like shake this off. Mm. Like giving them the, because this is so critical to their PC continuing to be a PC. Yeah. Then letting them spend inspiration to sort of shake off the effect long enough. But okay, we're leaving. Mm-hmm. And then maybe some kind of boss fight, like big pirate attack, or Peter challenges them to a duel. You know, it's Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. People can't just do things. No, they have to be fight. a fight. They have to fight their <laughs> way to freedom. You know, Peter gets mad and Neverland starts lashing out at them. Ooh, yeah. Um, they have to kind of fight their way out. Or, you know, he did challenge them to a duel, and he is honorable. Like the same mm-hmm. about Peter Pan, he keeps his promises. Yes. So he does let them go. Or similarly, if it's the whole they're trying to rescue someone, then similar thing where they realize that the Wendy they're trying to rescue is forgetting everything. They talk to the Wendy, maybe letting them spend inspiration to succeed automatically to make the Wendy go, oh, wait, actually, I did have a mother and father. That was not Peter Pan. Mm-hmm. And then with it being an NPC, I think that works really well because you even could also, if they can't convince her, they can drag her out kicking and screaming. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. as soon as she gets out of Neverland, she's like, oh. Wow, thank you. I'm glad I don't think Peter Pan's my dad anymore. So that's kind of how to get your players involved, how to bring the PCs into Neverland. Now, as always, we're going to move on to our segment on aging down and aging up. If you're listening to a podcast about Disney movies, there's a decent chance you're thinking about GMing for kids. So running very gritty horror lost voice transforming into orcs and getting murdered really isn't going to fly for that. Our aging down section, we're going to talk about how to do this as a more kid-friendly but still creepy setting. And then our aging up section, we're going to talk about some things that are really only for games for everyone involved as an adult. And as always, when we get to that part, we will tell you how far to skip ahead, give the appropriate content warnings in case you're listening to this with big-eared little pictures in the room. So in terms of aging down, do the movie. Mm -hmm. Do the Disney movie specifically. Mm -hmm. That is, as we said, even a lot of our going and making this a horror setting, making this a Ravenloft domain, making Peter Pan a literal monster, is just going back to the source material. Mm -hmm. So you know what? Walt Disney did most of the work for you. (laughs) Just emphasize the adventure, emphasize the fun. You can still have memory changing, but you don't need to like dig into the psychological horror. Mm -hmm. Of forgetting that Peter Pan is not your dad. Mm -hmm. Especially, you could have it happen to the NPCs, but not the PCs. Because in the movie, they don't get into it happening to Wendy. In the book, it does kind of start happening to Wendy. But in the movie, it doesn't. She's our viewpoint character. Yeah, she's our PC. Yeah. She sees it happening to John and Michael, but they don't make it scary. It's kind of just like one line where Michael says, oh, did did our mother have floppy ears? And that's really all they do. So you can still get into it, but only with the NPCs and don't play up how scary it is. Right, right. And another thing, the great thing is you have sort of a backup. This is kind of getting an A that we'll talk about in a bit, but you have a backup villain Mm -hmm. in Captain Hook. And if Mm -hmm. you have young players, we mentioned that our kids were like, oh, of course, Captain Hook's the Dark Lord. And even if you're not doing full on the Dark Lord, he can be the villain of the story. He can be the boss fight. Mm -hmm. So it could be something where Peter Pan needs help, where you just get to go to Neverland, you get to have an adventure, as long as you have it be that we have a Wendy-type kid who voluntarily went with Peter, and you go and remind them of how much their parents love them and get them to go back and just do the Disney movie Peter Mm -hmm. Pan. But you're sort of the Wendy of the story rescuing the Michael and John of the story. And Mm -hmm. we even mention Peter did let them go. He will let them go. So it doesn't need to be a thing. The boss fight can be Captain Hook. He's grumpy about it, but he lets them go. If you are like, I want to do Peter Pan, 
but I want to do it in a way that is going to be fun for kids and not like dark and Freudian and horrifying. Walt Disney Mm -hmm. had that exact same (laughs) thought process and did all the work for you. Mm -hmm. And if you want to have it still be, Pan is not a nice guy. Again, he's not a nice guy in the Disney movie. He is laughing that the mermaids want to drown Wendy. He calls Wendy a big stupid girl. He's not nice. We're kind of doing a chaotic evil version of Peter Pan, and in the movie, he's more chaotic neutral. So that is if you're listening to a podcast about Disney movies, uh, there's a good chance you'll be running for kids. If you're listening to a podcast about Ravenloft, there's a good chance you'll be running for (laughs) adults. So, Rachel, can we make it more adult? Can we make it darker? Oh, we absolutely can. Oh, good. (laughs) Content warnings coming up. Since we're going to be talking about stuff for the Lost Boys, there's going to be child endangerment to go-go here. Uh, we're going to be talking about ways that you can make those poor kids suffer. We're also going to be getting into some of the Freudian implications of Hook and Mr. Darling traditionally being double cast and having the same voice actor in the movie and whatnot. We're not going to be getting graphic with any of that, but we are going to be talking about some of those more adult elements of what childhood versus adulthood mentions. Thinking about this episode is one of the reasons why we realized that we needed to have a skip-ahead warning for our Aging Up segments, because we want to talk about some stuff here that we would not want our own children listening to. So, (laughs) Future Rachel is going to come in and tell you how far to skip ahead now. This is Future Rachel. The Aging Up section ended up being about 14 and a half minutes. You're going to want to jump ahead to around 1 hour, 53 minutes and 30 seconds. It pretty much ended up being what we warned you it would be previously. With the Freudian stuff, we do say a couple of words that rhyme with textual, but we're talking about them in a very academic English major kind of way. So if you don't have kids in the room, or if your kids would be all right with that, then carry on. If not, then we will see you in 14 minutes and 30 seconds. So for aging up, the big horror dial here is Peter Pan. You know, we mentioned when we were talking about aging down, crank him down to more chaotic neutral, make him more whimsical, make him less of a horrible sociopathic locking the windows monster. If you crank it up, make him more of a monster. Yeah. Yeah. I think a big pitfall here would be to crank it up so far that he becomes kind of a literal, vicious, chaotic, evil, murdering for the sake of murdering monster. You need to still have it be that childishness. And the sense that he kind of doesn't know right from wrong. There's the classic Twilight Zone adventure where we get the term being sent to the cornfields. Mm-hmm. Where the kid, the Simpsons did a parody, if you're from, other, from our generation, <laughs> where the kid is psychic and everyone has to do whatever they say and make them happy and pretend to be happy and it's a living nightmare or they'll get sent to the cornfields. Mm-hmm. And that's really communicating. And once again, this is one of those famous lines from Peter Pan. There's nothing as pure and cruel as a child that making him just a monster mm-hmm. is missing the real horror here, guys, yes. which is that he knows he's not a monster. He's a child. I saw a thing once that was kind of for a horror setting of Peter Pan, and he has, you know, the red eyes and the mouth dripping blood. And no, no, don't, no, no. That's not the horror here. The horror here is, yeah, he's Bill Moomy and he's going to send you to the cornfields. And the idea that if you took the best kid in the world 
and put them in a place where they had absolute power and everything shaped itself to their whims, they would turn into a monster. And yes. since Peter Pan is a Dark Lord, he's already starting out not as the best kid in the world. He became a Dark Lord because of the bad decisions he made. So really, when we're talking about dialing up the evil in Peter Pan, we're talking about that kind of cruel, capricious, spoiled child evil, rather than... Pixie dust is made of ground-up human souls. <laughs> in the book, there's a line, which there's a lot of horror implications about how when the Lost Boys get too old, he calls them. He thins we, them out. He thins them out. And that could be a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> and you could have a really dumb version where it's like, he murders them and eats their spines <laughs> and drinks their blood. But it's much better and less stupid and scarier if you get that sort of film. No, they're a grown-up now. Yeah. And he kicks them out and they have no home and they have no food and they just kind of abandons them to wander into the jungle full of dangers because, well, they're grown up now. They're not a lost boy. Or you could have it be that he kills them, but it's like throwing away a broken toy. Yeah. It's not yeah. like he's maliciously, you know, again, like killing them and cackling as he eats their brains or whatever. It's like, what? No, they're broken now. I got to get rid of them. I need to get rid of this broken toy so that I have more room for all of my shiny new toys. So yeah, kind of keeping that childish psychology in mind is really crucial as you're making him more evil to make sure that you're not losing sight of the true horror of the setting. So one of the big aging up things here, as we mentioned, is the actual killing of the pirates and really playing into these are children who are essentially Pan's child soldiers now. Yeah. <laughs> like all we see in the Disney movie is kind of goofy pirate fights. But again, in Hook, they say they kill pirates. In the book, Michael the toddler right. kills a pirate. And then the teddy bear <laughs> kills a pirate. So playing that up, which even the book doesn't do it, just say, by the way, Michael had killed a pirate, like, after it happens. Because Jay and Barry knew that would be going too far. Yeah. But actually showing them killing the pirates would be so horrifying. There's also a bit on the book, remember in the movie Hook, when they're having the, the dinner and the plates are all empty and they're kind of imagining that there's food? That actually comes from the book. There's a thing about how sometimes Peter likes to imagine that they're having dinner and forgets to actually feed them, and they all have to go hungry that night. So you could have stuff with the Lost Boys are horribly starved and neglected, and maybe they've been so drawn into Pan's imagination that they don't even know it. And that's really that's horrifying. horrifying that they're emaciated and clearly malnourished, but they're you know, miming eating this delicious feast and are acting as if they've been eating food because they're so in Peter Pan's reality bubble. Yeah, and sometimes he'll remember that he's not giving them real food, and sometimes he just, he got bored with his new pet and forgot to feed it, and then it starved, and oh, what a tragedy. There's a bit in the book and in the 2003 movie where, you know, he's flying Wendy and John and Michael off to Neverland, and he's the only one who knows how to get there, and he forgets that he took them with him. So he kind of, like, looks around and goes, who are you again? And if he had kind of wandered off and forgotten them, they'd just be dead. They'd just be lost yeah. and dead. Like, in the book, I believe it's even just, he, like, loops back to check something. Mm -hmm. And runs into them and is like, oh, hi, who are you? And if he had not looped back for this unrelated thing, mm -hmm. they would have just been kind of floating over the ocean and dying. Yeah. And you can also, with his curse, kind of this idea that he 
forgets everything and he knows he's forgetting everything and he's terrified that he's forgetting everything. That's really scary for kids. I would not yeah, get yeah, into yeah. that for kids. But for adults, play up the heck out of that because that is so scary. The other big thing for aging up, as mentioned, is the Freudian subtext. Let's put the adult in adult. <laughs> So there's a whole psychosexual stew going on yeah, yeah, with, yeah. The, with, like, potentially with the pirates. J.M. Barry has kept English majors in master's mm-hmm. theses on the Freudian reading of Peter Pan mm-hmm. for a good hundred years now. Captain Hook, even in the animated movie where he is this utter clown, he cuts a very dashing figure. And there's a bit in the book when they come and they're capturing all the lost boys, the boys they actually capture. But Wendy, she comes out of the the hideout and she sees Captain Hook and all he does is hold his arm out to her. And she's just so entranced that she just takes his arm and lets him lead her away. And holy schlamolies. With especially when we're getting into this whole Wendy needs to grow up, Wendy's on the cusp of womanhood. Wendy's Wendy's getting some getting some feelings about Captain Hook. Yeah, yeah. And you can you can really play that up and get into this idea of the pirates super representing adulthood. You see in Hook you do see in that pirate town there are women and they are very heavily made up and they are wearing their low cut dresses and it's pretty clear what's going on. If you freeze frame, there's a little bit of a very telling signage. Mmm, I did not notice Yeah, that. it's like, done sense for a peak. I see. Okay. Once again, this, the kind of thing <laughs> that, like, a set designer can get away with in 1990-whatever, because it's before people could do a frame-by-frame. Frame. Yeah, yeah. So, that kind of also leads us into the pirates. They're the adults. They're everything scary and evil about adulthood, right? You, even if you're doing a completely non-Freudian reading of Captain Hook being voiced by the same voice actor as Mr. Darling, being played by the same actor as Mr. Darling, it can just be that adulthood is the enemy of childhood. Adulthood is trying to kill childhood. Adulthood and childhood are constantly in well, opposition. Mr. Darling is the one who's saying Wendy needs to leave the nursery and get her own room. Mm-hmm. which is kind of her stepping into a more adult role. It means she's going to start learning to sort of be a woman, be prepared for courtship. And Captain Hook is the one trying to kill Peter Pan. Mm-hmm. The, this dude is trying to, to sort of destroy symbolically or literally childhood. Yes. So there is this pirates representing adulthood that's not Freudian at all. Or you can, you know, you can get Freudian as Freudian as you want with it. So you can say that they represent adulthood in various ways. I really liked in the 2003 movie, there's a bit where Hook is meeting one-on-one with Wendy and Smee keeps offering her rum and cigars. <laughs> it's really goofy. And if this doesn't necessarily belong in aging up, because that is a really goofy, fun thing that you can do with kids. And they get this is an adult thing that is kind of gross and wrong and that kids shouldn't be interested in. So that is kind of a more fun, goofy way of showing the pirates represent both kind of these wrong things that adults do, but also the forbidden fruit that Mm. that adults represent. Once again, forbidden fruit, you can ramp that up. Your table, man. The 2003 movie is part of why I am like constantly putting on my feminist boots now when I think about the pirates and Peter Pan. In that meeting with Wendy, there's this whole thing where Wendy is sort of tempted to become a pirate because Hook is treating her like an adult. And she finds that very alluring. And there's 
some extreme creepiness of a framing of Wendy and Peter Pan in that movie. I, yuck. But with Wendy and Cook, there's there's not any of the, the Freudian whatnots, but there is kind of this sense that he's treating her like an adult, and there's part of her that wants to be an adult, and everything that means. So she's attracted to Peter. She wants to have a romantic relationship with Peter. He can never give her that. And adulthood is her pathway to get to a romantic relationship. So she does have this temptation to be a pirate. And I think there's something very powerful in the idea that for girls, especially, you know, the boys, they're getting to be part of the Lost Boys. They're getting to run around and hang out with the boys forever and just have fun. But Wendy, when she's with the Lost Boys, all she can be to them is a mother. They don't have the idea of a tomboy in the Lost Boys. If you want to do that at your table, you can. If you don't want to have this element, go nuts. Have there be girls among the Lost Boys who are just as tomboyish as anybody. But they don't have the idea of a girl who can relate to them as anything except the mother. Saying good things about, Lord help us, what made the red man red. (laughs) It is very important for the plot, the whole Michael and John get Mm -hmm. to dance and sing and have fun. Whereas Wendy's forced to do chores. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to quote it. No. But if you've seen it, you know what I'm thinking of. Mm-hmm. Wendy, get firewood. Get firewood. Woman, get firewood. <laughs> and going off of that, the red-handed Jill stuff from the Jason Isaacs Peter Pan is kind of an interesting Captain Hook. Red-handed Jill is her pirate name. Yes, yes. Sorry. That is kind of an interesting counterpoint to this idea of part of what eventually drives her away from Peter is the forced maternal role. She doesn't Mm -hmm. get to have fun. And even once again, in the really racist song, she starts to dance. Mm -hmm. But then a racial caricature (laughs) grabs her and makes her do chores instead. Mm -hmm. So it's specifically saying, no, you're like the mother. You're the woman. You don't dance. You do chores. You don't Mm -hmm. party. You do chores. So this is sort of a counterpoint to that with that's also kind of there that she's being forced to be the mother. And then now Captain Hook is saying, hey, don't you want to come be a pirate? Because you know who doesn't have to do chores? A cool pirate mm-hmm. named Red-Handed Jill. Yes. And then you can have this idea that among the pirates, she doesn't have to be a mother. She doesn't have, you know, even if you're doing the tomboy stuff, then it would be this very, you know sexless, like, once again, she's she's romantically attracted to Peter Pan. There's not that romance there. And the idea that with the pirates, there is kind of that adult element. Forbidden that, fruit. Forbidden fruit, yeah. That you would be able to be fully an adult in everything that entails. That you That with the Lost Boys, you can either be a mother, or maybe if you're doing a different spin on it at your table, a little girl. But that with the pirates, you get to be a woman. And what does that mean? And how can you kind of embody womanhood? But at the same time, you know, what we see of the women among the pirates in the only movie that has women among the pirates, they are also very objectified and very forced into a specific role. So you can really get into some cool feminists right. if, you're, if, you're, if you're willing to dig into that. And like, even if you wanted to be just like, it's a cool pirate doing and doing stuff, there still is the whole... Yes, you kind of have adult freedom and enjoying all the forbidden fruits of adulthood, but fundamentally it's through violence and plunder Mm -hmm, and kind of mm -hmm. exploiting other people. Like sort of Mm -hmm. your freedom and your pleasure and your luxury is all built on violence and causing suffering to others. So it can still be a sort of 
pulling a Wendy away from that, kind of helping them wake up and say, yeah, this is great. This is a nonstop party, but we get like the booze and the golden goblets by hurting people, by Mm -hmm. raiding ships, by killing people. Mm -hmm. And they are killing the Lost Boys who are just these innocent pawns to Peter's will. They're killing these Lost Boys who aren't doing anything wrong. Or you could do a kind of flip around parallel with this whole, yeah, this is a party as long as I'm obeying Captain Hook. Mm. And like, I, this isn't, this is on one level more freedom than Peter Pan and being a lost boy. On the other hand, this is a parallel kind of authority structure. And I only get to enjoy it if I am obeying Captain Hook, who is telling me to do things that are wrong. Mm-hmm. So part of this aging up has been talking about alternative takes on things, alternative takes on the relationships of the pirates, what they symbolize, what they symbolize in a Freudian sensibility. And so this is also a good place to transition into the general AU. We have given you kind of our version of Neverland and the version of Neverland I am going to write up and put on DM's Guild in the form of Vanguard's Guide to Ravenloft so you can... If you like what we've been talking about, you can have that kind of all written out for you. You don't have to take notes while you listen. (laughs) But this is not the only way to think about adapting Peter Pan into a Ravenloft or a horror or a D&D setting. So let's talk about some of those other possibilities. Yes. If you've been listening from the beginning, you might remember that way back in our pilot, we said that we were going to be doing some AUs in future episodes. Here they are. This is not just, what if you fought a different Madrigal? This is, (laughs) what if... Peter Pan was a vampire. So I guess we're starting with that one. I mean, it's, it's, we can't leave him in suspense. <laughs> so one thing was, I'm sorry, we keep saying in the book so many yeah. times this episode. Take a drink. I am, I, I am such an English major today. But in the book, there's a bit where Mrs. Darling is, she's talking to Wendy about Peter Pan, and she remembers she's heard this thing about Peter Pan being this thing that appears to children as they're dying and escorts their souls to the next world. If you want to play that up, then you could have Peter Pan be undead and have it be that rather than kidnapping children, he is kind of visiting them and saying this, okay, you can come with me. You can either die now or you can come with me and be young forever. Really kind of actually doing Lost Boys, the movie. The movie with (laughs) Kiefer Sutherland. Sutherland. This is a very different as a domain this might be more if you don't want to necessarily do the whole Ravenloft domain visiting Neverland structure, but you kind of want to bring Peter Pan into your pre-existing Ravenloft campaign, just doing Lost Boys starring Kiefer Sutherland <laughs> is a good way to do that. Yeah. Only now he's in green tights. Yeah, he can he can be like this child vampire bumming around Barovia if you want. He doesn't have to have his own domain in Neverland. He can just be yeah. visiting dying children and turning them into vampires so they can be young forever. Yeah, yeah. And it wasn't, he wants friends. It's not like he's preying on them for the sake of preying on them, although that is you know, partly there. He wants to have admirers, but he also wants to have friends. And that, that is a cool character concept. You could also, in terms of undead, if you don't want to do the vampire, because, hey, Joel Schumacher beat you to it, <laughs> there's the Revenants. And in uh, the traditional sort of D&D monster manual, the Revenant is the spirit who's back for revenge. Like mm-hmm. they, they're, they're the crow. You're, you're, you're being the crow, or they're being the crow. They were wrong. They were they were killed through some kind of being wrong, some kind of injustice, and they've been, by force of vengeance and a magic crow, are brought back to life to seek their revenge. And there is even kind of a ticking clock. In the, in the Master Manual for 5e, it's specifically a year. They have mm-hmm. a year to get their revenge, or they just go on to the underworld. 
So you could do something interesting with Peter Pan, you know, if a baby like crawls away to their carriage and goes to a park, <laughs> maybe they're lucky and the fairies will find them. But you could have this very interesting idea of Peter Pan as a revenant who wants revenge on parents. He kind of sees his parents as responsible for his death, but not just his parents, but sort of all parents. Mm-hmm. And so that could even be tied into the whole not wanting to grow up and not wanting to age. That he does have this, like, on Earth, he has, like, a year on the material plane, the real world, the rest of Ravenloft, whatever. But Neverland lets him kind of freeze time. And that would also then be an interesting way of getting into that idea of stasis. That Peter Pan is sort of in this stasis that he won't grow up, he can't grow up, and having it be this sort of an undead who's kind of frozen in time. Mm Mm-hmm who can't live in the world or have real relationships or they'll kind of wear out the clock. It's another way to explore that theme. And then another possibility, probably the most obvious possibility, which we would have led with, is having Captain Hook as the Dark Lord. But that's what people would expect. Yeah. And if we told people we were doing Neverland as a domain, they'd be like, oh yeah, Captain Hook. <laughs> so this is, as we said, the sort of expected thing. You mm-hmm. even have you know, our son said, oh yeah, Captain Hook's the Dark Lord, and uh, his curse is you can never get Peter Pan. Mm-hmm. And that even is, because Peter Pan represents youth, that's not like a lame curse. Yeah. That it's not just like, oh, he hates this one specific guy and he can't kill him. And it's sort of like Strahd Tatiana in reverse. And that's really dumb. <laughs> that there's, take a drink. There's a great line in the book <laughs> where Captain Hook is thinking about why do I hate Peter Pan so much? And there's this great metaphor where they say it's like a tiger in a cage and a sparrow keeps flying in and out of the cage. And that Peter represents youth and Peter represents freedom and Hook doesn't have those things. And, you know, we are not the first people to have explored the psychological symbolism of this. He's being chased by a ticking clock mm-hmm. that is trying to devour him. That mm-hmm. he has already lost one part of himself to the ticking clock. And the ticking clock is someday, in the book, uh, someday <laughs> Drink. the clock is going to wind down and he won't know the crocs there and he's going to die. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, the symbolism is not super subtle. So Peter Pan represents youth, and Peter Pan is young forever, and Captain Hook cannot tolerate that. Being an um, an adult, being a man who is getting older every day, he cannot tolerate this eternal youth. Mm-hmm. And one advantage that Hook does have over Peter Pan as Dark Lord is that we had to kind of bend ourselves into pretzels to have Peter Pan not leave Neverland, whereas Hook... In every iteration, he is choosing not to leave mm-hmm. Neverland because he wants to get Pan. And in, again, in the Disney movie, his men are all saying, why don't we leave? Why don't we just go and maraud the oceans again? And no, he's never going to leave because he has to catch Pan. So he, he's much more trapped in Neverland than Pan is. Or like the torments, the work's all done for you. Like yeah. The torment is he can never leave Neverland. He can never go be a great pirate again because he, he won't leave until he kills Peter Pan and he can never go Peter Pan. Mm-hmm. And also, he will never be younger. And every day he thinks about killing Peter Pan, he remembers that he's old. Mm-hmm. And he remembers that he's a day older than he was yesterday. Yeah. I can't promise this is going to be the last time that we're talking about Hook rather than about the movie. <laughs> but we got to talk about it with Hook being the Dark Lord, right? Because Hook is the Dark Lord right, right. in the movie Hook. I mean, the movie's called Hook, not Pan. That is the model, if you wanted to do Hook as the Dark Lord. That is a version of Neverland that is much more centered around Captain Hook. Mm -hmm. It is much more Captain Hook, like, drives the plot, 
Captain Hook gets Robin Williams to come there. Captain Hook makes everything happen. Like, rewatch that movie and have kind of that version of Neverland. The, the main thing I would change is that in the movie, the TikTok croc is dead. And I would have the TikTok croc still be out there hunting him because that's just such a beautiful torment. So yeah, other than that, a lot of the base adventure can be the same. Only, and this might be a good one for younger players, that it's about stopping Captain Hook's plan. The like Captain Hook has a plan to get Peter Pan, and you stop him, and then you get to go home. And mm-hmm. that's the adventure. The other alternate Dark Lord that we have is weird, but yeah. I love it. <laughs> because we are not the first people to think about doing Neverland as a domain. Far from it. Way back in, I want to say, like, 2010, back when my fellow Ravenloft Grognards who were listening to this, remember the Fraternity of Shadows and the Café de Nuit message boards on Fraternity of Shadows? I sure don't. (laughs) This was a big Ravenloft community back at the turn of the 21st century, which is a thing I can say now. I can't believe we have to say way back in 2010. Uh, TikTok croc is coming. Yeah, right. But anyway... So, back in 2010, on the main Ravenloft message boards at the time, there was a discussion of how to do Neverland as a domain. And someone, and I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, any Fraternity of Shadows people who may be listening to this. Subscribe, leave a message. I believe it was Rodifer. Hi, Rodifer, if you're listening. Had the idea that what if the Dark Lord was this Shadow Fae? And she was this malicious little Shadow Fae who had this very childish bullying sensibility and she loved children because there was nothing as pure as the cruelty of a child. Even you know, the cruelty of adults is much more planned, but there's so much more chaos in the cruelty of children. She could really sink her little needle sharp teeth into it. And so what she really wanted was a child who could never grow up. And so she... Did some kind of act of ultimate darkness of some sort. It's not hard to imagine. Maybe stole a baby. Maybe st- Probably stole a baby. And she got the child who could never grow up. But then she fell in love with him. And he grew up and he was just this amazing, perfect encapsulation of everything that she wanted. But because he was a child, because he was trapped in this perpetual childhood and couldn't conceive of romance, he could never love her back. And if he did, it would be because he had grown up and was no longer her perfect, cruel child anymore. So you could do Tinkerbell as the Dark Lord and actually have it work. It's pretty sweet, right? It's pretty sweet. And in every source, and once again, cartoon also, Tinkerbell is an amoral little scumbag. She like, is just the worst. Like, Tinkerbell is a very, even in the Disney cartoon, is a very good for doing the Fae as the Fae. The, like yes. the, the capital F Fae, the classic fairies. Mm-hmm. These just psychopathic, amoral hedonists who will absolutely kill people if they get jealous. Yes. And she does genuinely have something resembling love for Peter Pan. You know, she does die for him in every version. But he's the only person she cares about. She will burn down the entire world if it comes between her and Peter Pan. If you want a good visual for Evil Shadow Fae Tinkerbell, we'll, we'll post it on Facebook and Twitter. The picture that they had for Red Caps in the 3.5 stuff was just perfect. If you want just a horrible demon pixie, Red Caps in the old material were the way to go. And she disguised herself with a glamour to make herself look beautiful, but underneath, she's the horrible demon pixie. 
stamp your Rachel bingo card for mentioning the Shadow Fae from the older material. <laughs> I love the Shadow Fae. That's why it's on the bingo card, honey. <laughs> if you didn't, it wouldn't be on the card. That's a that's an I for me. I'm doing well. And in that case, you're going to be doing a very similar Peter Pan, where the main thing is sort of coming to Neverland, having adventures, maybe coming to rescue a Wendy, but surviving Tinkerbell, mm-hmm. like like thwarting Tinkerbell from killing the child or children you've been sent to bring back because Peter is paying attention to them and not her. You're really going to be playing up the idea that they or your PCs are replacing Tinkerbell and his affections. So we hopefully in the options we've talked about, you'll find something that's right for you, it's right for your table, and you'll have an awesome Neverland adventure with your Ravenloft players. As a sort of final word, as we go into launching you off into that awesome Neverland adventure with your players, let's talk about our parting thoughts in a section that we like to call... Parting Thoughts. So the first thing with Parting Thoughts we like to do is going through the genres of horror. One of the best parts of Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft was a section on genres of horror. If you haven't looked at that, I recommend it. Like, not even as a horror GM, but if you are just interested in horror Mm -hmm. as a genre, it is a fantastic discussion of some of the different types of horror. My fellow Ravenloft grognards out there, if you're saying I have no interest in this 5e nonsense, please do pick up Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft just for the genres of horror section. It's fantastic. So this is a thing where we like to make a little bit of an on-air discussion, do it live. We have not talked about the genres of horror that we would do for Peter Pan. Uh, Last episode where we were surprised each other was Lion King and I went first. So Rachel, let's have you go first. What genres of horror would you do for Peter Pan? Dark fantasy, 100%. Yes. (laughs) Like, I'm having trouble even coming up with a second genre of horror for it because dark fantasy is such an obvious and fantastic fit. And even like I said, there's a meta level where... Neverland is supposed to be the world of childhood adventure. So it is like literally in every iteration of the text, every version of Neverland, it is the world of fantasy. And if we're doing it as a Ravenloft domain, it is a dark fantasy. I would say psychological horror. I'd say psychological yeah. also, yeah. I, we promise the next domain is not going to be psychological horror, guys. I know we've had three in a row. Lion King was just a little... <laughs> But as we said, the most horrifying thing in Neverland is the idea of the stuff with forgetting, the stuff with memory, and Mm -hmm. the stuff with being pushed into the story of Peter Pan, and that's psychological horror. Yeah. In terms of genres of horror, this is an area where we are in basically total agreement. Yeah. There is a clear, it's dark fantasy, it's psychological horror. And another thing we do here in Parting Thoughts is we talk about what kind of story you do with this, because some of the domains are a whole campaign set. Mm-hmm. Curse of Strahd is this whole campaign. It's beloved. People play it for years and years. It's all set in Barovia. There's enough going on in Barovia. Mm-hmm. Or Darkon. There's enough going on in Darkon that you could have a years-long campaign mm-hmm. just in Darkon. Other domains are really for one kind of adventure, one specific adventure. So we mentioned it earlier on this podcast, Santa. You get stuck in the playwright's play and you have to get out. Like some domains are a show. Some domains are an episode. Mm -hmm. Neverland is sort of both. A movie. It's a movie, definitely. 
several movies, in fact. We've, we watched three and a half of them. You could absolutely do your Neverland one-shot. Mm-hmm. And depending on how much you want, you want to engage with the core themes, your players of any age are going to have a ton of fun just doing like one, two, three sessions where you go to Neverland, you sword fight Captain Hook, mm-hmm. you save Princess Tiger Lily, who's maybe an orc, and <laughs> then... I want her to be an orc! You fly away back home and like maybe bring Wendy along, the darling children along with you. Or you could do a longer campaign, because as we said, this is a world of adventure. This is a setting where you have the map, and all the zones of the map are a Mm -hmm. different type of adventure. This is an MMO setting. So you absolutely could do session after session after session of just whatever fun, daring-do escapes and battles and combats and treasure that you want to have in Neverland. Mm-hmm. And the trick there will be to make sure that you kept it horror. Again, since this is Ravenloft, if you wanted to run a straight-up fantasy game in Neverland, by all means, have a great time doing that. But if you're doing it in Ravenloft specifically as a domain of dread, the trick there is just to maintain the dark fantasy feel. There is a Neverland write-up as a 5e setting on DMs mm-hmm. Guild. I cannot personally vouch for it, but it's there. We are not the only people that have thought of this. <laughs> and you know what? Have fun, guys. Yeah, abs- people, absolutely. Folks, everybody. <laughs> But the core adventure, if you're doing anything more than, like, the tourism, the, like, we're doing the great capitals of Europe in one week, so we're going to spend, you know, eight hours in Rome, is, if you're doing anything more significant than that, the story is either you reject Neverland or you help an NPC Mm -hmm. to reject Neverland. Because all children except one grow up, and that means everyone there except Peter has to grow up eventually. That's their arc. That's their story. And you either do that arc or you facilitate that arc. And however many times you fight pirates or look for treasure or save people from being drawn by mermaids, like that's the story you are telling with your table in Neverland. Another thing we'd like to talk about here on Parting Thoughts is how to incorporate the wider world of Ravenloft into this setting. And with Neverland, it's tricky because it has the memory loss. That you go there and you forget everything that came before. Also with Neverland, you're not really going to have diplomatic relationships with the other domains. Like, Peter Pan's not working out trade agreements with Borka here. That's not the way this works. Neverland explicitly, as we said, in every iteration is another world. Mm -hmm. Is a world separate from sort of quote-unquote Earth in this case, the core of Ravenloft or the other domains. My fellow Ravenloft people who are listening to this and you know, you might have had your little antennae perk up at the idea of the memory loss, one thing is connecting this to Darkon and the fact that Darkon also makes you forget that you ever lived anywhere but there. There's not really like a plot connection there, but if you're doing a campaign where memory is a major theme, bringing Neverland and Darkon both in is one thing to do. I think the main way to be bringing in other domains is to be having some of your NPCs be showing little bits and bobs that tell you that they are from other domains, that they came from these other places and they forgot about them. And that's a really cool way to distinguish your individual Lost Boys, your individual pirates, and give them a little bit of flair and kind of maybe connect them to some of the places that your PCs have been before. So, like, if you have your Barovian Lost Boy, your Barovian Lost Boy knows that you never, ever go out at night under any circumstances, even if Peter Pan tells him to. He is not leaving Hangman's Tree at night under any circumstances. And he has a whole bunch of little superstitions that he sticks to, and they change on 
any given day. Some days he's got to put onions up around his bed because he knows it's something kind of pungent and bulbous that he needs to put up. And other days he needs to put holly around his bed, but it's always something that he needs to hang up to keep some kind of unspecified monster away. Your Borkin Lost Boy. There was a thing in the older material about how in Borky you became an adult as soon as you could sign your name. Because you would sign your name to a contract and you were an adult. So you would have a Borkin Lost Boy who was incredibly superstitious about literacy. And he's convinced that if he ever learns to read so much as a letter, then he's going to grow up. And maybe he will. Maybe he believes it so strongly that if he ever does learn to read, he's going to grow up on the spot. You can have your Falkovnian lost boy, and they're used to following orders. So they, you know, they were raised to be a soldier, so they will follow Pan's orders absolutely without question, even more than the other lost boys. They drill, for heaven's sake. Or conversely, they want to be kids. They left Falkovnia because they didn't want to be a soldier. And so they will, if you tell them to eat breakfast, they'll starve themselves because they just want to oppose you. Except Peter Pan. Vlad Drakov or Vlad uh, Drakov wishes they mm-hmm. had Peter Pan's absolute authority over mm-hmm. their followers. And I promise if you have your players go to Neverland, meet the Lost Boys, and you have like names, mm-hmm. like there's an Eastern European name, there's like an Italian name, there's like a German name, and they have these little like tweaks and maybe a little bit of the clothing of places they've been already, they are going to feel so smart. Like players mm-hmm. love. Yes. Putting two and two together. Mm-hmm. Players love figuring out elements of the setting connected to other places they've been. Yes. Oh my gosh. Little Casimir talked about putting onions around to keep the bad things away and won't go out at night. Barovia. Mm-hmm. He's he, from Barovia. He throws water at things. And they're going to like be like glow. Feel so proud of themselves for having figured out that little bit of backstory Easter egg that you put in there. Mm-hmm. One other thing for incorporating Neverland into the wider Ravenloft world that, again, is more of a thematic idea than a, than a plot element is if you like this idea of Tinkerbell being a Shadow Fae, one of the things that they really dug into with Shadow Fae in the older material was that their kind of bizarre sense of morality or lack thereof stemmed from the fact that they were truly immortal. And 5e, I believe that in the Feywild, there are some Archfae that are truly immortal, but a lot of Fae creatures do eventually die. And the Shadow Fae, you know, the, the Shadow Fae were thousands and thousands of years old and knew that they were never going to die. So you could do some interesting stuff with that and the fact that they don't age and don't die with the fact that Peter Pan is also immortal now. And if he's left to his own devices, he is, he is never going to die because he's going to be a child forever. If you wanted to kind of play with the theme of immortality, then linking Peter Pan and Tinkerbell together in that way could be interesting. So now let's look at some of the strengths and challenges of running a Ravenloft game in Neverland. And strengths, I think, are fairly obvious. It is literally a machine designed to produce adventures. Mm -hmm. This is the kind of thing where you could just have a giant chart of adventures and roll on them and run your players through those adventures. And that is, like, in the fiction what Neverland is. Yeah. So you have no problem coming up with plots, coming up with adventures, filling space. You could have years and years and years and years and years of play just fighting pirates and looking for treasure and having escapes and daring do's. Mm-hmm. You're also, I think, going to have a lot of player buy-in because Neverland is one that everybody is familiar with. 
And it's one that I think nobody is going to be so strongly attached to that they're going to be horrified or disturbed by the idea of a darker version of Neverland, except maybe if you have kid players. But we talked about with uh, with Encanto that there are some people who really strongly relate to one of the Madrigals. And so running a darker version of Encanto might be upsetting to even some of your adult players. There's not going to be that with Neverland, I don't think. I agree. And part of that buy-in, once again, for adult players, I have not ever like had a conversation about Peter Pan with an adult that has an involved some acknowledging of sort of the dark edge. And the fact that Peter is a terrible person. Like kids, once again, if you're playing for them, you might want to just have it be more whimsical, more fun. Peter's a bit of a jerk. Even that, once again, the Disney movie, Walt Disney saying, I want to make this a fun movie for kids, has Peter be a jerk. Mm -hmm. But just not go full horror monster. (laughs) But the vast majority of adults look at Peter Pan and even if they don't get that in the fiction he's a monster, I think they can easily understand that someone in that situation could be a monster. Mm -hmm. That a a sort of all-powerful child is a terrifying thing. Yeah. And then for challenges, uh, one of the challenges is just going to be making sure that you're getting the tone, that it's striking that that balance of not going too much into the straight-up fantasy, keeping that horrifying tone, and also not just digging so much into the darkness that it's grimdark. Although, again, if either of those are what your party enjoys, have fun. But I think finding that balance of the tone is going to be a little bit trickier with Peter Pan than with some of the other domains. Another challenge is since Peter Pan's whole thing is kind of stripping away the personalities and the agency of the people in his domain, it's going to be very difficult to make that sort of apply to your PCs without it feeling railroady. That if you do want to have them kind of have that flattening of their personalities and not just the NPCs, you're going to have to tread so carefully with that because there's a good chance your players are going to hate it. But overall, I'd say this is a more specific and niche setting than some of the other domains we're looking at. Mm -hmm. That almost every party running a kind of domain hopping Ravenloft game, especially adult players... A lot of the places are just going to feel right. They're going to feel natural. They're going to feel like this could be a slightly more colorful mm-hmm. Ravenloft domain like all the others. This one is more specific. This mm-hmm. one is more you're getting into a different tone. You're kind of getting into a different genre of more like this is more fantasy mm-hmm. than a lot of Ravenloft is. So for many, many, many groups, this is going to be great. They have that emotional hook of Peter Pan. They have that inherent darkness and tragedy of all children except one grow up. And they get to have a sword fight with Captain Hook. (laughs) But just be aware that this might be too jarring for some Ravenloft players. Mm -hmm. Especially, I think if you're doing a Kingdom Hearts, like, heavily Disney, if you're playing through our podcast, which, (laughs) good job. Thank you. Thank you. then this is going to be fine. Like, everyone's going to know to expect that. But if you're just playing Ravenloft and we're like, hey, this a Disney movie would be a fun side trip, maybe pick one of the ones a little more grounded. Coming coming here right after Falcophonia would be really weird. <laughs> it certainly would. So, before we rejoin our intrepid and noble narrator and find out where she's going next, and this is a much more standardy Ravenloft feeling domain that we're going to go to next. 
let's talk a little about how you can get in touch with us. If you have some thoughts about how to do Princess Tiger Lily or <laughs> yes. the natives, then by all means. We'd love to hear it. Yeah. yeah. If you want to get in touch with us, then you can email us at wonderfulworldofdarklords at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at Wonderful World of Dark Lords. And you can find us on Twitter. However, Wonderful World of Dark Lords is much too long, and even Wonderful Dark Lords is too long. So you can find us there at Wonder Dark Lords. Peter Pan is a Wonder Dark Lord. And this is also, now that we've done the official podcast social media stuff, here's the official podcast promoting our other work. <laughs> if you like the cut of our jib in terms of taking a piece of fiction and adapting it into a Dungeons & Dragons adventure, you have gotten a very exhaustive look at our creative process in, <laughs> in that, that task. I have a couple of adventures up on DM's Guild. I have one adapting John Carpenter's The Fog, one adapting John Carpenter's Halloween. I will have some up, presumably, in a couple of months that hopefully are non-John Carpenter-based, but I make no promises. If <laughs> and you've you, got another John Carpenter. I do have another John Carpenter one in the, in the hopper. These are horror. These are based on adult horror movies. These are, a f if you were looking for just a fun horror adventure with, a, hey, look, it's that guy from that movie. It's really scary. Then I recommend taking a look at those. And if you just search for, we'll have the link in the show notes, but if you just search for Tom Kohler on DMs Guild, you can find my work. And then if you like the cut of our jib in terms of doing stuff for kids that's spooky but not scary, I wrote a book called Mother Ghost Nursery Rhymes for Little Monsters. It's a book of 13 classic nursery rhymes reskinned to be about Halloween. And you can find it in various bookstores anywhere books are sold. IndieBound, Barnes & Noble, The River in South America that shall not be named. You can also go to my website, www.rachelkohler.com, and find links to my short stories for adults. Finally, if you are running for kids and you like our thought process on running for kids, as Rachel was saying, we have a work on DMs Go that we did together, which is mm -hmm. called Ravenloft Gives Me Goosebumps. It's taking those genres of horror that we praise to the sky from Bramerton's Guide to Ravenloft and talking about how to do them for kids. And it's weird to say it's a definitive work of <laughs> horror for young readers, young players. But we just talked about Peter Pan for what I assume is going to be four hours. <laughs> and so clearly we have a level of self-confidence in our intellectual analytical ability. We are we are extremely proud of this. Yeah, right? I mean, we're proud, we're proud of everything we put out there, but we're really proud of this one. Thank you for listening and happy gaming. Parting thoughts. Pan presents Neverland as a child's paradise, but in truth, it is a paradise for only one child, Pan himself. It exists only to support his whims, whether they be generous or cruel, and its people are nothing but playthings. At one moment he will dote upon them like a cherished favorite toy, at the next he will become bored, break them, and find others that entertain him more. However, while he is capricious, there are other realms with far darker and more sinister rulers, and I fear I am journeying to one of those next. When I disembarked from the ship and entered the mists, clutching a thorny branch in one hand, I wondered whether I had taken leave of my senses. My patron seems to be a wizard of formidable power, but can he compare to the mistress of all evil and all the powers of hell? Regards, D. This report, being far more exhaustive than your previous efforts, is mildly impressive. Though one does find it easier to obtain information when conversing with one's peers, do they not, my little servant? I find Pan's reluctance to leave Neverland quite curious, and there is likely more to him than his boisterous attitude implies. 
Very few would choose to stay within the prisons our tormentors provide. Though without suitable parental figures in his life, it's no wonder he has made such a poor decision. His refusal to acknowledge consequences of his actions has led to a fear of adulthood and the responsibilities thereof. Yet his greatest triumph is the mere removal of his adversary's limb. One wonders how long he has been enacting the same stories, and how much of his childish nature is genuine. Though your insolent attitude is becoming vexatious, your efforts have not gone without notice. If my little servant is to survive her next expedition, more than novice spell work shall be required. Open the tome you were granted, and you shall find something of interest there. This has been The Wonderful World of Dark Lords. We have no affiliation with Disney or Wizards of the Coast. All music recordings used in this episode are in the public domain and were obtained through museopen.org. Titles and links are in the show notes. Dialogue for Yensid was written by Azalyn Rex himself, who you can follow on Twitter at DarklordAzalyn. The Wonderful World of Dark Lords logo was designed by Haylight Jones. You can find links to their work in the show notes. Thanks for listening. Okay, cool. They're holy monkey pants. We'll finally be done with this. Peter Pan.